Hello, this is Tom Edmonds, the director of Dead in a Week or Your Money Back, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is kind of on the cutting edge of all the latest news, if you're thinking back weeks anyway. I'm your host Craig and this is our regular monthly feature where we talk about news and trailers and stuff that's going on in the world of nerdery. So as with previous months, I have a particular guest with me to chat through the stuff. So with me this month is Kat. Welcome to March. Hi, Kat. Hi. Welcome to March on the 29th of March yes. as of recording, which is near the end of March. Welcome to March and also goodbye to March. Yeah, yeah. we're reflecting on March. Exactly. <laughs> and all the news stuff. So how are you doing? Are you doing well? Yeah, very excited to talk about some of the stuff. I'm glad because so am I. But before we do that, let's get a bit into what we've been up to and what we've been watching. So have you been watching anything interesting that you want to talk about, old or new or Old and new, new for you, old for you. So new for me, but old for pretty much the entire rest of the world. I literally just started watching Breaking Bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> so for the longest time, I was like, conceptually, I'm just not interested in this drug making, drug selling show that all the dude bros seem to like. I just don't care about it. And I've managed to avoid pretty much most spoilers, aside from the fact that I know it goes on for five seasons. <laughs> and recently, my partner sat me down and was like, okay, listen, I really think you will like Breaking Bad. I know you say you probably won't, but hear me out. And so we sat down and we watched the pilot and it is so well filmed. It's like, okay, fine. I stand corrected. This looks like a movie. This looks better than a lot of movies, actually. <laughs> and I'm very impressed with how the whole thing is done on film and the storytelling kind of like the language used is very much cinematic, not very TV, but more so leaning on like actually cinema techniques of just how to visually tell a story. So I'm here for it, I guess. I've watched the first three episodes so far. I'm really enjoying it. And okay, past cat, time to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also watching The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as I'm sure is everybody else right now. <laughs> yes. According to Disney, anyway, we're all watching it. Yeah. <laughs> according to them. Yeah, which so far I'm quite enjoying. It is kind of more on the expected side. They're not really trying to do anything mysterious or weird with the format, but it's okay so far. You've been covering the show on the website as well, so I know you're watching. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Or is that your main two? That's kind of it. I'm also watching Arrested Development, which is also old for most people, new to me. <laughs> I think that's kind of it right now. So not very heavy on the science fiction side, perhaps on my TV viewing at the moment, although I'm sure that's about to change with some of the stuff that we're about to discuss today that's coming out soon. Yes. Breaking Bad. I jumped on the Breaking Bad wagon, as some people call it, I quite like that phrase. Nice. Breaking Bad wagon. <laughs> I jumped on that when it was on its hiatus between the first half of season five and the second half of season five. Okay. So I kind of binged it very, very quickly because 
I don't even know why. I just made my way through it very quickly. And I think it is a show that's better off consumed like that because there is episodes where, I'm not going to say they're dull, but they are very sedate in the way they're paced. Yeah. So if you just let it wash over you, then you take more in, if that makes sense, rather than watching it week on week. And then I got a real shock when I caught up just as it was coming back and I had to watch it week on week. And I was actually less engaged by it week on week, although I could talk to people about it Mm. every week because it was a talking point that people were going on with. It's one of the rare occasions where I've been at work and I'm watching the same thing that everyone else is talking about, Yeah, which is a rare thing for me. People are usually like, have you been watching this? And I'm like, nah. And then that's the end of the conversation because it's something that appeared on Netflix and I just haven't bothered watching it or something. So Mm. that was a rare occasion where I was on the same wavelength as everyone around me. And it was good, but I wonder if I ever went back to it, if I would enjoy that final run of episodes more because I could watch them at my own pace. Yeah, I know what you mean about some things are just enjoyed better when they're bingeable. It's interesting because obviously I don't have that problem, quote unquote. It's definitely something that I'm going to be not necessarily binging, like I'm just going to sit down and watch the whole thing, but I can pick and choose how many episodes I watch. Oh, okay, this is a good yeah. stopping point, whatever. But in terms of like how we were talking recently on the WandaVision podcast about the power of having that week break sometimes, there is that opposite side as well, isn't there? Yeah. Which I think we talk about less than we do about having that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just because most of the stuff I watch, I do consume weekly, so I don't really get into that whole binging side of things. But there are some shows that I feel like it's better to do that with, and Breaking Bat's probably one of Mm. them. Or at least that's how I consumed it. So it might have been that I was just used to watching it at my own pace, and then by the time I caught up, it was... I don't like watching it this way. Maybe if I'd watched it that way throughout, I wouldn't have known the difference. I don't know. (laughs) We'd have to ask Parallel Universe me who got involved. (laughs) Early doors. (laughs) I'm sure he exists. Multiverse Craig, yes. (laughs) The multiverse is just me watching different TV shows at different times. That's all I do in other universes. (laughs) Don't do anything useful, just that. That is all I do. (laughs) My watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, you've already mentioned. I've been really enjoying it. As you say, it's very traditional. I don't think it was ever promised as anything else. So it's mm-hmm. fine. I'm quite on board with it. Been covering that on the website, as you said, and over on Podcast 616, which is on the We Made This Network. I defect there now and again to host shows over there. So that's something I've been doing as well. I've been watching Scrubs on Disney Plus. Oh, yeah. Because I don't know, why not? <laughs> I just decided to pick it up and I've made my way through seven and a half seasons in a matter of weeks because it's one of those I have 20 minutes I'll stick this on before you know it an hour's passed and I've watched three of them whereas I could be sitting watching like 45 minute shows in that time but it's whatever you feel like doing I think oh for sure oh I miss Scrubs yeah but I've never seen it before or not all of Mm, it yeah I haven't watched the whole thing I don't think I remembered most of seasons one two and three and then after that my knowledge sort of dropped off so I clearly just stopped watching it by then yeah, I think there was a time when it was syndicated on TV, and uh, I don't remember the channel now, but yeah, I think I've seen bits of it, but never properly in sequence, so my sense of plot of Scrubs is very nebulous. Yeah. I mean, there isn't a lot of it. It's sitcommy, as in everything remains mostly the same. For sure, yeah, but there still is some level of continuity. The characters 
have journeys, people come and go, that sort of thing. Yeah, people are married or not married, exactly, depending yeah. on what season you're watching. Yeah, stuff like that. You can watch Friends and get that same experience, mm. just depending when you're watching. There's slightly different things going on, but it's designed that you can just jump in at any episode yeah. and you'll be able to sense what's going on, you'll follow it. I think that's been me. I don't think I've been watching much else, other than my usual DC TV output, Batwoman, Superman and Lois, etc. The Flash, which is now back and is... As usual, variable in quality. (laughs) Some things never change. (laughs) Sometimes the episodes are, yeah, that was good. Sometimes it's, oh God, that was a chore. (laughs) That's the flash. That's what it is now. It just does that. Every now and again, it will deliver an episode that reminds me why I watch the show. And then every now and again, it will deliver an episode that makes me question why I'm watching the show. (laughs) That's what it does. There were a lot of times that I felt that way about supernatural when i still watch that maybe it's a cw thing maybe it's just a network tv thing i'm kind of out of the habit of watching super long shows now but i think the new trend in tv storytelling is very much short form like 10 episodes maybe 12 episodes so yeah having those episodes where it just kind of like why am i watching this again um <laughs> i think it's an old school feeling at this point yeah i still like yeah. it though but i do get that feeling <laughs> Quite often. Mostly on The Flash. The other shows, not so much. I like to give The Flash a kick in in every podcast that I can manage. So I've done it. (laughs) So before we move on to trailers, is there anything that you've been up to that you want to plug while we're here? Well, at the moment, I'm working on a science fiction convention for creatives. So if anyone listening is a science fiction or fantasy creative, you could be a podcaster like us. You could be a reviewer or a video game streamer, or perhaps a writer, or a comic maker, or whatever. If you're making anything and it's in the science fiction or fantasy space, look up Flights of Foundry, which is a free convention. It's online 16th to 19th of April. You can support us, of course, with an optional donation, but it is free to join in, and there's going to be stuff happening literally every single time zone. So wherever you are in the world, There's going to be panels, there's going to be stuff you'll be able to join in, and a Discord server as well, where you can network and meet with people who do the same sort of things that you do. So hopefully that might be of use to somebody. Cool. Check that out. And the episode will be out before the time that thing takes place. That's cool. It's an appropriate plug. You're not plugging anything that comes after. No. (laughs) Before release. Mm. So nice. Timely. (laughs) For me, I only have Podcast 616, mm. other than this stuff and my reviews, but Podcast 616, I, as I say, defect to the... Mm-hmm. Traitor. We made this network every Traitor. now and again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's more detriment to me than anyone else, because I'm just giving myself more work to do. Uh, classic. I, mean, so, yeah. I know that feeling. More editing, because I don't do enough of that, yeah. right? <laughs> Why do I do this to myself? This is not the forum for that discussion. <laughs> right, let's move on to some trailers. So we have nine or ten trailers which is quite a lot actually but quite a big month for content that might be coming our way quite soon Mm -hmm. so let's start with the suicide squad james gunn's maybe not sequel to the film that was just called suicide squad that i believe was your first ever appearance on this podcast oh my gosh was it really time i think so i think it was (laughs) yeah (laughs) to talk about that travesty of a film but this one looks much better I like the setup. I like a lot of the characters based on what we see here. John Cena looks hilarious as always. You've got Harley Quinn, who I might get sick of eventually, but hasn't happened yet. And it just looks 
kind of like what the first film should have been. A bunch of expendable villains working together to deal with stuff. And then you've got this Kaiju Starro thing at the end of the trailer, which I think is more played for laughs rather than the whole world is at threat like the last one. So I like the look of this. And I'm pretty sure they're going to mow through quite a lot of the characters. They're not all going to survive this, which... Well, and that would be name. appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in the last one, there wasn't enough of that. There was a character that was introduced just to be killed. And then no one else died, really, yeah. at that point. I like it, though. I like the look of it. I think James Gunn's the right type of director to take something like this and make it work. It's got a great cast. The... B and C list villains that they've put together for it. I'm here for it. Some of them look ridiculous. Some of them look great. Sylvester Stallone's voicing King Shark, which again, I'm here for it. Looks Excellent. Great. Yes. That's my only criticism though. The CGI in King Shark's a little bit ropey. The Flash TV show actually has more convincing CGI, which you wouldn't expect considering the budget differences, but maybe it's not the final render. They still have a bit of time to fiddle if that's what's happening. And a lot of films do take that time. And what we see in the trailer isn't necessarily the final product. But yeah, I think I'll agree with you. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you'll know I wasn't a massive fan of the first film. (laughs) And yeah, this is absolutely what the first film should have been. Tonally, it's much more my style, much more my sense of humor. I actually found myself chuckling and laughing out loud at the trailer multiple times, which is a very good indicator. (laughs) So yeah, and also I'm with you on the Harley Quinn. Am I tired of her yet? Hmm. I mean, I actually haven't seen Birds of Prey. So my threshold for Harley Quinn hasn't been reached. (laughs) But I will say that I like her and I like Margot Robbie. I am looking forward to a movie where it's not just about the Joker and being edgy. I'm hoping for a little more juice Mm. from the Harley Quinn character and everybody else. (laughs) I mean, I'm aware that the Starro creature is from the comics, but there is a sense of hearty ha-ha, a kaiju in an Idris Elba movie. (laughs) Ha <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, hey, hey, I chuckled a little bit. Love Pacific Rim as listeners of this podcast already know. <laughs> so yeah, this I'm actually kind of here for. Bring it, James. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see it later this year, possibly in cinemas. But if not, it's releasing locally as well because of just that deal that they're mm. keeping going throughout the year. But I'm mildly confident that cinemas will be safe enough to go to by then, whenever it is. It's quite late in the year, so yeah, should be okay. I want to see it in the cinema. I want to see everything in the cinema, but... God, I miss the movies. As long as I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> I God, definitely I miss the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Oh, the Suicide Squad looks good. Excited. Maybe you can be on that podcast and complete the loop. <laughs> Just be on both Suicide Squad episodes. If we can make it happen, we'll make it happen. Assuming there is an episode about it. Depends what's happening at the time. So we'll see. Next up, we have Stowaway. It's a Netflix movie starring Anna Kendrick. It's a space movie. There's someone who's not supposed to be on a ship. Somehow he winds up on a ship that he's not supposed to be on that's going to Mars and kind of resigns himself to years of journey and then something goes wrong because you can't have a space movie where something doesn't go wrong and they're about to die and they have to puzzle their way out. Looks all right. I don't really have a lot to say about it. It just looks like a sort of typical Netflix movie, as in this will probably be 
average at best. Yeah. It's interesting to see some of these people in sci-fi roles. Anna Kendrick's not your typical astronaut kind of character. Yeah. You just don't think of her as, oh, yeah, sure. Who are we going to put in our space movie? Anna Kendrick. So I'm actually kind of interested to see how she'll fare. From the trailer, yeah, I'll agree with you. It does look kind of typical Netflix movie. It does look kind of typical middle road sci-fi movie small crew runs into mechanical trouble has to make larger than life decisions in order to ensure survival or the success of the mission or both and i don't know i mean i'm here for anything like this again if you know me on any level interstellar is my favorite film it's obviously not on the same level as this film but in terms of the main concept, that's kind of the same. So I'll watch Tony Collette as a space commander. It's a very interesting look as well. I kind of like the way that the film is shot, at least from the trailer and stuff. So yeah, kind of here for it. But also, I don't expect it to be a groundbreaking experience. No, it looks a bit discount sunshine to me. Ah, actually. yes. Sunshine's sunshine another. Yeah, absolutely. It. God, love that movie. Absolutely. This won't be that. No. No. <laughs> be pretty Sunshine, sure I feel, had a very kind of philosophical core and very human condition. Let's think about the very essence of human nature. I don't necessarily think that this movie is going to go into that kind of depth. This very much looks like a who's going to survive? They have enough oxygen for three people, but there's four of them. Are they going to fix the thing? Are they not going to fix the thing? Is somebody going to get murdered? Those are the questions you ask in a sci-fi movie like this. (laughs) So we'll see. I think there's always space for (laughs) space. (laughs) There's always always room (laughs) for kind of average movies that you can just make some popcorn, turn the lights off, Turn the Ambulite on your TV if you have it and just have a nice little evening for a couple hours, you know? So I think that's what this movie will be. Yeah, that describes a lot of Netflix output, Indeed. to be fair. Yeah. So it looks like on brand for them, mm. which if you're okay with middle of the road sci-fi, then check this out. I'll probably give it a watch. Maybe I say that, I probably won't. I'll probably <laughs> be talking in like two months about, oh yeah, I never saw that thing. Someone will be talking about how they did see yeah, that thing. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> I didn't see it. I know it's there, but I haven't seen it. So there it is. Okay. Next up, we have Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's Netflix movie. It's a zombie casino heist thing. And I have to say, I really like the look of it. I have seen the Snyder Cut, which I should have mentioned in what we've been watching section, but I didn't. But I like the Snyder Cut actually a great deal. That's not to say I'm going to be review bombing anyone or tweeting I don't tweet anything, but at least of all, I won't be tweeting Restore the Snyderverse over people talking about other things. I just won't be doing that. <laughs> but I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I do like Zack Snyder's style, actually, in a lot of ways. And I think his remake of Dawn of the Dead is excellent as well. So I'm quite excited to see him return to the zombie genre and then putting it alongside a heist-type situation. I'm really interested in it. And I think it looks well shot and there's some slow-mo in there which is what he loves yeah. and it's got all this stuff in there so yeah i like it i can't wait to see this one this is one that i will make time to watch mm. because it just looks damn good to me anyway i have to say i'm kind of not on that train i watched this trailer and i was like Ugh. 
I can't be bothered. Cannot. Absolutely cannot be bothered. I respect Zack Snyder in terms of the man has a style and he has some things that he likes to do, which are very him. The slow-mo, the use of music, the lengthy and bombastic moments. It's very indulgent, his style. And that's fine. Good for you. And as you are enjoying it, there are plenty of people who like this sort of thing. So hooray. But I'm A, not a massive fan of just generic zombie whatever. Heist movies, yes, I love. But this, I already don't care. (laughs) So I know that (laughs) if I sit down and watch this, I'm just going to be like, why am I doing this again? I haven't (laughs) seen the Snyder Cut. I don't know if I will. I never saw the original Justice League movie either. I'm not drawn to it. I might yet. I've heard very good things. And as you said, you liked it. And I've heard very good things online as well, generally from people whose opinion I respect. So it's like, okay, I'm not saying it's not worth a watch, but it's the time commitment. Yes, it's a long. Yeah, you know, it's just like, my God, it's four hours. Four hours. My favorite movie (laughs) is three hours long. And when people say, oh, I've never watched Interstellar because it's three hours long. And I'm like, listen, I get it. When do you say you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch this three-hour movie. Or in the Snyder Cut's case, four-hour. I just don't think that anything (laughs) should be that long. Except Lord of the Rings, apparently. Yes. (laughs) Lord of the Rings, though, it was never that long theatrically. I suppose Snyder Cut wasn't either, but... No. (laughs) It's a different story. You're not just pulling things out of your brain slash about a zillion comic book arcs and just having fun with it. It's very much here's a thousand page saga and then just taking that and putting it on the screen so i think that's a different beast altogether but in itself yeah i mean if people are like hey the extended editions of the lord of the rings are 11 hours long it's 11 hours (laughs) (laughs) at that point it's more like binge watching a big series than it is watching a film which fine and i have heard the argument of maybe the snyder cut should be watched episodically that's an interesting take as well and maybe i'll try that watch it hour by hour (laughs) but yeah we'll see about this zombie thing if i hear good things from you and other people who i respect what you think about films then i might make the time but let's just say just looking at the trailer i'm just like i'm okay thank you i'll sit this one out (laughs) yeah no that's fair it's definitely not for Mm -hmm. everyone in terms of the snyder cut we're doing a podcast on it me, Aaron, and Chris are going to be recording. We'll be pretty much the last word on it, I think, in terms of coverage, <laughs> but we'll do it. So that's an interesting one. I had to wait for Aaron to be available and with him being the one that's really interested in this darker take on the DC universe. Really wanted him there for that discussion, but we'll do it. We're doing it. It's going to happen. <laughs> but as a kind of tease of what I'm going to say in that conversation, when I watched it, I did watch it in a four-hour it wasn't quite one sitting. I took a break and got a cup of tea and a snack and then came back to it. It wasn't a long break. It was like 15 minutes right. or something like that. You know, just a stretch and go to the bathroom and whatever. Yeah. And it was around about the halfway point, but you could watch it almost like a TV series. Mm. And weirdly, I think the way it was structured, I felt like I was watching a TV series. I hadn't conditioned myself to think like that. When I was about to sit down and watch it, I was like, I can't believe I'm about to sit and watch four hours of a film. Yeah. I can't believe I'm about to do this to myself. And then... I don't know, the way the scenes are done, because they linger for longer than they would in a theatrical release. If this actually came out, it would be probably three hours long in the cinema. That's what you're looking at. But now he's just got to indulge and stretch it out to four. 
Because that's because you can, do, yeah. whatever. <laughs> but it is broken neatly into chapters, so you could literally get to the end of a chapter and then stop okay. and go away for a day, even, and then come back. Yeah. So it's not quite neatly. It's not like every forty minutes there's a chapter break or whatever. It's every now and again. But there's one roughly at the two hour mark, so you could stop and be like, "I've got to watch half the film now. I'll come back tomorrow or at the weekend or whenever you know, a few days later, and catch up with it." So. There's that possibility, and I would say that's a viable way to watch it. When I rewatch it, I can't believe I'm going to rewatch it for the podcast. <laughs> but got to take notes. I'll consume it probably a lot like that. I'll put aside time and just watch a chapter or two and take some notes, and then come back. That's behind the curtain. That's how I'm going mm. to do that. But Army of the Dead, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a probably a respectable two hours, I would imagine. Yeah, it doesn't look like it would stretch much longer than that. I could be wrong. Zack Snyder is a mysterious man. <laughs> he works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Turns out Netflix let him go nuts and it's fire. Oh, who knows? <laughs> a zombie heist movie. Oh, God. The freedom that working for a streamer gives you. There's constraints in theatrical releases that are very practical. There's only however long people will sit still in a room how many screenings you can have in a day. Exactly. How many screenings you can have in a day, selling concessions, cleaning, all of the stuff that goes into running a cinema. So it's a different story. But making something for a streamer, who knows? Maybe you could. This doesn't look particularly plot heavy enough to warrant that kind of runtime. So I think we're looking at a couple hours, realistically. Yeah. <laughs> What's it they say? Netflix is the place that the best filmmakers go to make their worst films. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but... <laughs> I don't know that I agree with that. It's a sweeping generalization, yeah. to be fair. But, I don't yeah. know that I subscribe to that. But it certainly is the kind of playground, the kind of sandbox that perhaps allows for that kind of mediocrity that traditional film or studio-led cinema release might not exactly allow for because there's just more at stake but i'm all for let people make mediocre things that's fine not everything has to be a masterpiece <laughs> there's room for middle of the road exactly. stuff as well okay so that's enough of Zack snyder it's not actually enough of Zack snyder we'll be talking about him later but okay <laughs> that's a bit of a tease for later on the next thing up is modok i think it's a hulu thing and it's a kind of stop motiony animated thing and I've got to say, I don't like the look of this at all. It looks like a robot chicken sketch. Yes, 100% agree with you. Yeah, I saw the trailer. I watched a bit of a... Or clip. I don't think it's really a trailer. Yeah, it's not a trailer. I watched a New York Comic Con rundown of who Modoka is because I had no idea. I'm not that well versed into that side of the comics. So I had no idea who this guy was. It's interesting to see someone like Patton Oswalt working on a comic booky supervillain type thing um but it's not interesting enough for me to go yeah you know what i will definitely make time and watch this thing that looks very weird and not like my kind of thing at all <laughs> yeah i probably won't watch it yeah it's not in the mcu so i don't care yeah <laughs> I don't have to exactly it. also it's weird that it's on hulu who's this for what's your target audience <laughs> what is this sure but also why <laughs> I ask this question yeah. a lot, Marvel. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. It's just a thing that they've thrown money at and they're hoping will be successful in some mm. way. I don't know. But I'm not for it. Robot chicken sketch, that's all I have to say <laughs> about it. I've just felt like I was watching a robot chicken sketch. If they'd labelled it as a robot chicken 
thing. I would have believed them. <laughs> would that have made it more likely that you would watch it or less? No. no. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> okay, next up, another Netflix thing, Jupiter's Legacy. It's the first of Mark Miller's, or Mark Millar, if you live in the US, and for some reason call him that. It's the first of his adaptations that he signed a deal for on Netflix. There's not much to say other than, look how we can make comic book pages in live action. (laughs) I also found a bit of a trailer that shows no actors or people, but just set pieces in CGI. But it didn't necessarily answer my question of, what is this? Yeah, I don't know either. I haven't read any stuff. I just have no idea what this is. I don't know if this is a comic book thing or what it is. It's just so nebulous and mysterious and not necessarily clear on any level. There was that teaser that was about 45 seconds long and it said something about, oh, someday they'll come for humanity and then it'll be your responsibility to like save everybody. And it's like, who is you? Is that me, the viewer? Is that a character? What's going on? So I don't know. Question mark. Just a lot of question marks on this. Mark Miller did a bunch of these not Marvel or DC things as his own IP because in fairness, a lot of creators got screwed by Marvel and DC by creating characters that they then lost complete control over. So then you get offshoots like Image or whatever this one is, where it's all about the creators maintaining control of their characters and their intellectual property. And the spirit of it is really good. But the problem with it, at least for me, is, well, it's not Spider-Man or Superman, so I'm really not interested. So I don't tend to read them. Yeah, I mean, if it's not interesting, at least visually or conceptually or something, it's just a bit of an ask at this point to be like, hey, read this. Yeah, okay, sure. But what is the storytelling goal of this? So we'll see. I mean, I'm sure we'll see further trailers before the release of it. So perhaps we'll have a nicer idea of what's going on. But just a bit of a strange approach to trailers slash teasers with this one. Because it's just like, get excited. What for? (laughs) (laughs) Here's a drawing, but it's not a drawing anymore. Yeah, Yeah, we've seen you adapt comic book things before. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) I know that it's possible. I'm not interested by itself. And I don't know the source material. So I feel like the trailer is designed for people that are really excited about the source material yeah which isn't me so if you love this stuff then cool i do intend to watch invincible which appeared on amazon at some point i've not had the chance yet that looks pretty good the animated invincible thing which is an image comics thing and reportedly very good Mm. but i don't know okay i haven't read it or seen the thing so we'll find out we talked about the trailer a couple of months ago Mm. with aaron i believe and I thought it looked good then. So I do intend to watch it whenever I get a moment, which will be at some point. Okay, back on some superhero stuff. We have Thunder Force, which is a Melissa McCarthy thing, and she gets superpowers, and it's a comedy, and it's not my style of comedy. So I watched the trailer, and I was like, okay, I haven't laughed once. Oh, okay. Probably not for me, this. Yeah. I'll wait to see her with powers and Thor, love and thunder. Thanks. <laughs> oh, if she's going to be in that, that's great. That's interesting. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. I did laugh at this trailer. I have to say I like Melissa McCarthy when she's not in something like Identity Thief. I think she's better than that. And (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I found myself laughing at this. I think it could be fun. But also, I don't know that it's going to be the first thing I'm going to be like, oh my god, I just have to watch Thunder Force. But it is the sort of You've got it marked in your calendar, Thunder Force (laughs) release date. But it is the sort of C tier 
oh, I'm in the mood for something that I can completely switch my brain off for. Not even in terms of stowaway, which is middle of the road. This is even further down than that. (laughs) And there are some days where you just want to put something on like those pie who dumped me or something. And this is kind of where I'm seeing this film fit in. Kind of something like The Spy Who Dumped Me, which also features SNL alums and stuff. So, shrug. (laughs) The thing is, we've seen a lot of superhero spoofy things over the past few years in particular. And I'm not sure what this is offering me that I haven't seen before. It's like, huh, it's funny that she's strong and she threw something further than she thought she was going to. We see that in legitimate superhero stuff. Yeah. Where they, oh no, I don't know my own strength. How hilarious. And then they cut to a shot of someone just confused because something flew out of the sky and hit them in the head or something. Yeah. It looks like a lot of that, and I'm really not that bothered about it. Fair enough. I just thought I'd put it on because on brand, but I'm not so keen. So yeah, I'll wait to see her in Thor 4 and then see what she's like in that. It'll just be this, but she'll be in a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and especially because that features Thunder too. So okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if that sounds interesting, having her in the MCU. <laughs> I can't remember who she's playing or if they've announced it, but I know she's in okay. it. Okay. I've liked her since Gilmore Girls, so I'm happy that she's doing well career-wise, because I've always known that she has that little something. Although it is squandered a lot of the time with some of the mainstream comedy things that she's done. But I mean, like I say, let people make artistic mistakes, it's fine. Yeah. I haven't seen her much, I don't think. I saw her in that Bill Murray film she was in and she wasn't very funny in that she was a kid's mum i can't remember what it was called okay that's a useful anecdote (laughs) (laughs) she was one of the central recurring characters in gilmore girls and i've seen bridesmaids and stuff like that and when i used to work at a cinema that was 2013 or 14 or so when she was in identity thief with jason bateman who i also quite like as a comedy actor but That movie is rough. It's just not great. (laughs) Just not good. Very disappointed in both of them. I was like, y'all are better than this. (laughs) I know the payday was probably good, but at what cost for the rest of us? I'm glad y'all got paid, but oof. (laughs) Just oof. I don't like Jason Bateman at all, actually. I can't stand the guy. Yeah. Apart from in Zootopia, where I didn't know it was him until after I'd seen the film. I mean, he's a seasoned actor. He knows his stuff. He knows how to do, especially the straight man kind of comedy approach is exactly his trademark. But it's fair enough. And I also really enjoyed him in Ozark, which is very much not a comedy. And he Hmm. directed a lot of it. And I think maybe wrote or produced a lot of it. So, okay, dude's actually quite good in the dramatic sphere as well. It's just that he's made a name and career in comedy. And perhaps in a similar way that I'm not a Jim Carrey fan. I just don't like him. In the comedy stuff that he has done, especially in the 90s, like that kind of heyday. And I know that he's the favorite comedy actor from that time for a lot of people. And I'm just like, "Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) People have different tastes. What were we discussing on a podcast recently? And I mentioned John Travolta. Similarly, I just can't. Don't want to. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about? Thunder Force? <laughs> we just went yes, on a tangent right Thunder there. Force. Yeah. Yes. We'll see. <laughs> Not a massive priority, I don't think, for either of us. So, yeah. Yeah. But if it's your sort of thing, then go yeah, for it. Sometimes. If you enjoyed the Ghostbusters reboot, then. I did. You might enjoy I this. personally really did. I haven't seen it. So, yeah. Still haven't seen it. So. I personally really enjoyed that. It's not because I hate women, it's just because I'm not a huge fan of Paul Feig films. Yeah. So that's 
why I haven't seen it. Fair enough. <laughs> I do think the humor in uh, that remake of Ghostbusters, I found it really funny. There was a lot of very female-centric jokes, very female-gazy jokes that you just don't see very often in movies like that. And so I was just kind of happy to have jokes where women can laugh at the general just kind of like, oh, haha, isn't this experience funny that we all kind of go through? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed that. But at the same time, it's not Ghostbusters. It's just, it's wearing its guise, but it's kind of something else. Yeah. Maybe I'll see it one day. Hmm. Again, not a priority. Yeah. What will I watch first? Ghostbusters or Thunder Force? <laughs> Answers on a postcard. <laughs> I don't expect that to be a priority for you. <laughs> <laughs> Next trailer, we're moving into young adult territory here with Voyagers. It's a bunch of kids on a long space journey. They're being conditioned by some blue liquid for some reason. And they discover emotion and then they do what teenagers do. It's got <laughs> Ty Sheridan in it. It's got Johnny Depp's daughter in it. If you're into that sort of thing, I'm sure it looks fine. Again, not for me, I don't think. It's that standard, oh, look, they're conditioning us with this stuff and we need to stop them and then they stop them and then it's a bunch of kids running the show, just like with any young adult thing, really. I'll agree with you in that it looks a little bog standard. It's very basic in its concept. <laughs> and to a certain extent, watching that trailer, I was like, oh boy, that is such a normie take on like, science fiction. <laughs> oh, our emotions and like, drives are being suppressed. What is this? You're making us into something we're not and like, we're going to rebel. I'm like, hush, boof, yawn. <laughs> At the same time, it looks very dark. It looks much darker than a lot of YA, what you would expect, a young adult film. It doesn't look clean, if that makes sense. It's not mm -hmm. sanitized yeah. in a way that a lot of the young adult output has been in the last 10 or 15 years. Actually, it looks bloody. It looks murderous. It looks quite sexy, which you don't definitely see. <laughs> Young adult stuff tends to get rated 12. It's just not the mood that they're going for. There's a lot of lingering staring and not much else. Yeah, but this <laughs> actually looks like it goes quite hard on some of these themes. So we'll see. I'm vaguely intrigued. I don't know that it's going to be a massive priority on my list, but I'm not not interested. There's some elements of it that I'm curious about, but at mm -hmm. the same time, it's kind of normcore sci-fi and there's better things out there already. There's better things to read <laughs> than a lot of this. Just like, <laughs> oh, I just discovered the science fiction trope of like, suppressing emotions and I think I'm super smart. <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> this ain't I've read news. 1984. Now yeah, I'm making this film. <laughs> this ain't new. This ain't groundbreaking on any level whatsoever. So <laughs> I think I'll probably wait to see what the general review consensus is on the internet before I commit any time. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Colin Farrell as the only adult on this mission. Um, <laughs> an interesting choice to make. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those films where if cinemas are open and running at sort of normal capacity at the time, it's the kind of thing, I'll put it in the middle of a couple of other things on a Saturday afternoon yeah. and it'll be a, my triple bill for the day and it will just be something that I watch on that day and I'll either like it or I won't. I mean, you can say that, but anything yes. I'll put in front of. <laughs> oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll either like it or I won't. won't. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Or I'll fall asleep and I won't be able to make it a big because <laughs> I haven't seen most of it, which does happen. 
There have been films in the cinema where I've fallen asleep within the first five minutes and seen none of it. Oh my God. Other than the first five minutes. It has happened. Mostly during film festivals. Late in the day. Or very early in the the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that, yeah. So yeah, both of us not jazzed about this. Fair play. You're a bit more optimistic than I am, which is (laughs) cool. We'll see how it shapes out. Maybe the second trailer will be... Better because this is very quick and confusing, I think is what they were going yeah, for with the quick and confusing, but a good trailer should give you a sense of the mood of whatever they're trying to go for. And if this is it, that's not necessarily the worst I've seen. Okay, sure. <laughs> but also it doesn't seem groundbreaking on any level, so I'm as you say, perhaps a little more optimistic, a little more open to it, but I'm not expecting anything remotely like oh wow <laughs> change my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking of young adult our next trailer is shadow and bone which i'm equally unenthusiastic about kind of just looks oh very disagree dull. very disagree oh, okay. okay so first off my best friend is a big fan of the books so i've heard bits and bobs i've not read the books myself but i've heard bits and bobs about them and it's one of the biggest hits in the fantasy space. It is young adult, but it's got a massive, massive following. And it's supposed to be a really cool world. So I'm interested to see what they do with it. Apparently there is a deviation from the main story. They add some stuff that happens in a second. I think there's a trilogy at first and then a duology that takes place in the same world but different place or different time and they're kind of combining the two to give us a wider sense of the world so i as a science fiction and fantasy writer i'm very here for it and also i'm a big ben barnes fan and i know that's weird because he's not the leading man or whatever but i've enjoyed him in everything i've seen him in briefly talked to him as part of my day job at one point very lovely guy (laughs) so i'm like You know what? I'm just kind of here for something that looks very well produced. It looks like they've put a lot of effort into it. The CGI looks pretty good. The world looks very interesting in that it is a fantasy world. But the setting, the magic and the technology they have, they have guns. It's not steampunky. It's further away. It kind of looks like Kozak Russia perhaps kind of Russian Revolution kind of era, but there's magic and there's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of fascinated by just the world building of this. What is this? It doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. So I can see why it's had that kind of appeal. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of here for it. But I'm also expecting it to be perhaps mediocre. (laughs) Just because a lot of the time when there's an adaptation of something that's quite complex. In this case, it looks like they're going for elements from five books, or at least a trilogy and a duology, and they're just kind of combining stuff. I can see that it could become messy. And therefore, Mm -hmm. whenever you try to squish too many of these things together, oh, but I want to give you a wider sense of the world. But in so doing, you kind of muddy the water of the character development and the plot and what the author first intended in terms of, I want to tell you a story about this person and their journey. Especially in film, we see a lot of that. It certainly happened with both adaptations of Shadowhunters, which as listeners of the show will know is my guilty pleasure. I watch it (laughs) when I'm sick. (laughs) I hope this won't be that. But 
can I put my hopes up? Can I keep my hopes up? Because <laughs> I know there's not a good track record where it comes to adapting complicated things like this. So let's see. I'm just going to keep an eye open and an ear open to see what fans of the books have to say about this because it's coming out next month. I'm not going to be reading these books before this comes out. <laughs> so I'm not going to have an informed opinion on that. But I'm certainly interested. My direct example that I can think of where it's something that's complicated being adapted and dumbing it down is The Golden Compass, the film. A hundred percent, yes. It removes everything. Mm -hmm. The TV show is way better because it has the time, yeah. but the film, it's removes Good God, that, that film. Good, good God. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, I was thinking about The Golden Compass as I was talking right there. When you have something as complicated as those books, and then you're just kind of squishing it down to two hours, and you're trying to get all that complicated world building and character relationships and all of that, and it just doesn't necessarily work. I'm glad that the TV show got the time to truly delve into A, the world, B, the characters, C, just in terms of the look of everything, you know, just having that space is great. And that's why I'm a little more open to this one, because they're going to have 10 episodes or however long. That's a chunk of time that's better than this getting a movie. So let's see. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of your anticipation is based on sort of second-hand accounts of the book. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure, yes. Whereas I hadn't heard of it until I watched this trailer. Mm. So based on just the trailer, I watched it and I was like, well, this doesn't really... Yeah, I do agree. They kind of structured the trailer. There is an implied familiarity, I think, which doesn't exist for me because I haven't read the books, right? Yeah, it's almost like, look, here's that thing yeah. that you read in the book, mm -hmm. but now it's in front of you. And yeah, there's a lot of those kinds of shots. Yes. And I'm like... I have no idea who that is or very, what that is or what he's very doing much or what that. she's doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's using her power. <laughs> I don't know what her power is. Am I supposed to get yeah. excited at this? So yeah, I, I very much agree with you on that. It's kind of harder to get excited about something that's like, well, I don't know what this is and I don't know what you want me to get excited for. So yeah, I don't blame you there at all. I'll probably never watch it, <laughs> let's be fair. It's probably not for me as well, so that's fine. Not everything's for me. If everything was for me, I would go insane because I wouldn't be able to <laughs> Not watch enough anything. time in the world. I don't have, not yeah, enough I time have in the, the world. Time. <laughs> next up, we're on Pixar. So Pixar, unfortunately, aren't getting any cinematic releases for the next while. This one's coming out on Disney+. Plus. You won't have to pay for it on June 18th, and it's Luca. And in true Pixar tradition, I watched the trailer and I was like, well, I'm probably going to love this, but I don't know why I'm going to love it yeah. because the trailer is showing me nothing, really. It's showing me these kids that fall into some water and then they turn into fish people <laughs> and they're trying to hide that from others. And I don't know what the emotional hook is or anything like that, but I remember when I watched the Soul trailer, I was kind of, I don't know what this is. I've got a general sense of what the visual concept is. Same with Inside Out, Onward. Basically, all their trailers, you'll watch them and you'll be thinking, what is this? Yeah. Sure, it's going to be great because it's Pixar, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. And that's what I felt with this. <laughs> I know I'm going to love it, but I don't know why I'm going to love it. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. They tend to have more atmospheric trailers. I think there's an art in trailer making where it's not necessarily giving you plot elements aside from a very basic, like the basic conceit of this. Clearly, these boys live in this Italian village where 
there's a tradition, I guess, of obviously fishing, but briefly there's some statues and carvings and stuff of older mythological, perhaps, creatures that are getting slain by the locals. And it just so happens that these two boys are mythical, perhaps merfolk or something like that. (laughs) And so they're in danger of being found at any time, because if you splash them with water, you can see. (laughs) In true Pixar form, there's a very authentic take on cultural stuff. This just felt so Italian. And as some (laughs) people may or may not know, I'm Greek. So this is very geographically close to my heart. I'm here for any Mediterranean story anytime. And because it's kind of modern, you know, it's not just, oh, here's some Roman stuff. Or, you know, Disney has done, obviously, Hercules, which is, yes, one of my favorite films, but also it's not necessarily like modern Greek life. But this looks like kind of modern Italian life. So very interested to see where this goes. I like that Pixar doesn't necessarily tell you where this will go. But because it's made with just such a joy, you can tell that they just had a lot of fun with this. So I'm very excited about it. Soul was awesome. I really liked it. And I appreciate that it's getting a release just on Disney Plus without any extra premium access or whatever, because I think that approach is a bit much. I'm not going to pay 30 pounds to see Ryan the Last Dragon. I'm really sorry. I'm going to watch it whenever it's free. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm happy that at least we get to see this when it's brand new and it's getting its first release, but we don't have to necessarily pay a lot of money. So yay. Or find it through unscrupulous means. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but also it's just <laughs> just taking the fun out of it. Yeah, because 30 is a lot when you're already paying them a chunk of money. I wasn't going to pay 30 pounds to see this in the cinemas. I had a Cineworld card. <laughs> I would pay my 20 pounds and just go watch it at some point. So you wouldn't get 30 pounds from me then, let alone now. So that's no. not happening. <laughs> no, and it's a discussion we've had many times on this podcast as well. For a family of four, it's a steal because going to the cinema is an expensive game mm. if you're a family of four. But I'm a single guy. Why are you trying to price me out of entertainment? Absolutely. By making me pay 30 quid for this, which I wouldn't do, which I'm not going to have to do on this because I can just watch it because it will be free on my standard subscription when I decide to watch it, which Mm -hmm. will probably be the day it comes out because it's great. I watched Soul on Christmas Day and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I watched it uh, maybe Boxing Day, but yeah. Yeah. That was just a fun, beautiful film with a really lovely message. So yeah. As per Pixar, like you say, I know I'm going to love it. I don't know why I'm going to love it yet. (laughs) They have something up their sleeve as they always do. So let's see. Bring it on, Pixar. Bring the tears. I know you're going to make me cry at some point. It's going to (laughs) happen. Assuming it was a cinema release, which at some point it was intended to be, because they make these things years in advance, or they they, they start working years years in advance. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I think with... Pixar films and Disney films in general, they're less worried about the, I mean, the animated stuff that's aimed at kids. They're not worried about the opening weekend as much Mm. because you get these movies for junior screenings for years. These things never really leave the cinema. They just alternate them and they rotate them. So they're always on. So it's not really about the, we need to grab people with that eye-catching, engaging first trailer. It's just a, here's a thing that we're making and you know you're going to take your kids to see it because... It'll shut them up for an hour or so, maybe. So yeah. we're fine. We don't need to grab you in the same way. So I'm okay with that because I know I'm going to watch it because it's got the Pixar name on it. 
and I've loved pretty much everything they've done, except cars. <laughs> yeah, actually, same. Well, actually, at least in the first same. One. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't bother with the other two, but yeah, okay. If that's the only bad thing you've ever made, maybe Toy Story Four isn't quite as good as it needs to be, and didn't need to exist after Toy Story 3, but your hit rate's pretty high. I'm pretty sure it's going to be great. Last trailer. We have a TV show. It's called The Nivers. We talked about it last month when the first trailer released. This is the second trailer, and there's a bit more to it in this one. It's a Joss Whedon show, but we're not going to talk about how it's a Joss Whedon show because he's no longer showrunner, except he showran this season. So let's just not talk about it. He stepped away. (laughs) Let's not talk about it. He's also... Quite a talented guy. There's no getting around that. But let's keep that distance. Let's not talk about his involvement. I think this looks pretty good. Victorian X-Men, I think, is the best way to sum it up. Yeah. Looks good fun. Looks stylish. Looks interesting. It looks expensive. (laughs) If that's an adjective you can apply to things now. It looks expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So I like it. The characters look fun. Everything. I'm here for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. If it weren't a Joss Whedon show, I'd be like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, I'm just a little bit like, well, I hate to admit it, but this looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in time, I'm very tired of the Joss Whedon trademark quip dialogue. It's fun when it's sometimes like that. It was fun in Firefly, but because his kind of tone of quippiness was such a big part of the MCU for a very long time, because that was just the thing that made them money because it was successful. People just found it irresistible. But to me, at some point, it got really old. So I'm hoping that this doesn't have that kind of, haha, I got you there <laughs> constantly, because it's exhausting. From the trailer, it doesn't look like it does. So I'm hopeful that I'll enjoy it. But also, Joss Whedon sucks as a person. (laughs) He does. Yeah, Yeah. I find it a little difficult to be super enthused. But (laughs) at the same time, I am of the opinion that sometimes it is worth separating the work from the artist. I usually try to. Yeah, me too. So I'm willing to give this an honest and earnest go. If these trailers are anything to go by, this looks exactly like my kind of thing. So crossing all my fingers that it's good. Yeah, me too. I'll give it a watch and we'll see. But it is curious that Joss Whedon stepped down, said that he was burned out and had to take a break. And then days later, I think it was, all this stuff started coming out. So Hmm. I think he was pretty sure that the wave was about to hit and then wanted to separate himself from that or someone in authority wanted to separate it from it as much as possible because they were about to start the promotion for this thing. I think based on the uh, articles that came out around the time that Charisma Carpenter wrote her open letter and things started coming out properly, my understanding was he was removed. But either way, it helps to know he's no longer part of that. But just knowing how he has treated women historically, one has to wonder about how he was on this set with the largely female cast of this show. I just, I have a lot of reservations shall we say it's a longer conversation about this whole thing about his entire career has essentially been one big massive contradiction that's really difficult to reconcile but it's a longer conversation that we're not going to have right now because we're not equipped to do so (laughs) but suffice to say he makes good stuff and this looks good so we'll leave it at that i think 
that's all the trailers that I picked up. There's other trailers. I haven't seen them all, but here's the ones that I thought might be interesting to talk about. So now we'll move on to the next segment, which is essentially me reading variety to you and then telling you what I think of it. That's what this is. I'm just going to read you some stuff that's coming up. Let's go for it. So our first stop will be the Marvel Universe, as it always is. And the first bit of news is, and I'm not reading Variety, I'm reading what's on DisneyPlus.com. So there we go. Already different. I'm already lying. So they're developing a spin-off of the Hawkeye show that isn't even out yet. That's how confident they are. We're making spin-offs of things that nobody has seen. So it's another superhero and... The Hawkeye TV show is going to be largely based on the celebrated Matt Fraction run, which is very, very good. I've read some of it, not all of it, but I've read some of it. And Echo, who's a deaf Native American superhero that will be debuting in this show. Echo will be played by, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Alakwa Cox, who's making her on-screen debut in the Disney Plus series. Ethan Cohen and Emily Cohen will be writing the show and will also be executive producers on the series. Marvel has assembled, haha, <laughs> hilarious, uh-huh. a writer's room together to create the new series. Echo has a similar ability to Taskmaster, where she can mimic other people's moves. The character was originally introduced in the Daredevil comic book series in 1998. Kingpin killed her father when she was nine and then raised her when convincing her that Daredevil had killed her father. However, she fell in love with Matt Murdock because... Who wouldn't, apparently? And when she discovered the truth, she became a hero. It's possible that Marvel might change her origin. Most likely they will. Although, let's get D'Onofrio in. She's raised by D'Onofrio. I'd watch that. However, with Matt Murdock rumoured to appear in the She-Hulk Disney Plus series and the third Spider-Man film, mm. it's possible. She was also the original Ronin, which was the name Hawkeye used in Avengers Endgame. Well, actually, he didn't. The script used that name, but the, the film, film never, never did. Yeah, but we never got a, yeah. a name for that <laughs> yeah. for that moment. I yeah. always thought that that was very out of place for him to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take a katana and like, go to Japan and just kill some people. <laughs> I <laughs> was just like, oh, okay, Hawkeye. You try losing your entire family in a second and, see, I mean, and sure, then see what that does to no, you. I mean, sure, but it just fell out of... It just didn't feel like him. I'm not saying that hmm. the reasoning behind this kind of character development wasn't justified sure it just didn't read like hawkeye per se so i'm not surprised to hear that perhaps that was her thing more than that they decided to give to him i have actually read that comic storyline back in (laughs) back in 2004 remember the daredevil movie (laughs) i was really into the daredevil movie in 2004 i was 14 it was everything (laughs) grungy music evanescence just yeah (laughs) all of it hoobastank was on that soundtrack yes <laughs> so that prompted me to go to the one one comic book store that existed in my hometown in Greece. And at the time, this was current run because looking at this art style in the article that you sent me, what's on DisneyPlus.com, I remember this. So this watercolor kind of style. It was beautiful. It was very interesting. They very much went into her Native American origins. And her connection to her family and all of that. I remember reading that and being like, wow, so this is what comic books are like? It was very different to a lot of the other comic book stuff like X-Men and things that I had been reading before, which was very kind of bog standard stylistically and also kind of story-wise was what generally comic books are and what you would expect them to be. But this was artistically 
next level. And I was really, really into it. So actually, if they do this justice in terms of story and mood, because it was very atmospheric, highly recommend that, by the way, if you go back and read that run of Daredevil, it's so good. It's just so good. It's one of the few things that I read kind of top to bottom. I was just so into it. So I'm kind of here for it. I don't know what to expect yet. There's a lot of stuff that hangs in the balance and how that will be an adaptation and stuff. But if they go into all of that, it could be amazing. Who knows? (laughs) Hoping for that. And also hoping for Matt Murdock slash Charlie Cox returning in any capacity. (laughs) Please and thank you. He's the best Daredevil. He's just the best. Let's be having it. Oh my God. Let's be having it. (laughs) <laughs> did I tell you that I once saw him on the tube in London? You didn't. No. We made eye contact. He was sitting down on a Jubilee line train and I was going to work or something. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I was like, oh God. <laughs> and then I had to get out. So <laughs> I could make a joke about, do you think he saw you? But <laughs> <laughs> he certainly did. We definitely made eye contact. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's just a dude on the tube. But I was like, oh my God, that's him. Ah. <laughs> he just is the best daredevil of all the of all two of them of all two of them but just in terms of just getting the character right and getting his pathos right and the catholic guilt and all of that i think the netflix show just did such a good job we were talking with my partner about this the other day actually so i'm just yeah any chance that gives us more of that yes please yes thank you yeah for sure And it's a good boost for representation. The MCU are quite far behind on that in a lot of ways because it took them so long to get a female-led and black-led superhero film. But they get there in the end. So now we've got a deaf Native American and not many of those around. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and any chance to take more chances and tell different stories, very welcome. And yeah, because I've read that comic storyline, it's so good. I hope they do a good job with it. Fingers crossed. Crossing all the fingers. (laughs) I have faith. Next up, this news is almost basically not worth mentioning, but One Night in Miami star Kingsley Ben-Adir will play a lead opposite Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn in Secret Invasion, the upcoming Marvel series for Disney+. Plus. That's about it. (laughs) We know he's going to be a lead. Hasn't said what he's going to be. He played Malcolm X in that film I haven't seen, One Night in Miami. Actually, when I was doing London Film Festival coverage, I started to watch it and I fell asleep. And didn't see that. And then by the time I woke up, the window closed, so I couldn't see it. But it's on Amazon or something at some point soon, so I'll try and catch it. Because I was enjoying it until I fell asleep. It wasn't because I was bored, I just fell asleep. (laughs) You just keep falling asleep to things. I worry about it. (laughs) No, well, actually, it's a big problem for me where I don't keep falling asleep. So it's almost any point where I manage to fall asleep is a good thing. (laughs) Even if it is at an inopportune moment. (laughs) such as when I'm trying to watch something. But he's going to be in it. He's good, I guess. That show is going to be interesting. Samuel Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn in space. Possibly in space anyway, we don't mm-hmm. know. Again, we know nothing. So this is nothing, but it's a bit of casting. Yeah. So there we go. Marvel are doing stuff. Yeah, let's see. We'll see. Watch this space. I don't know what to expect necessarily. It's probably going to be a fun kind of romp, which I'm here for. But not being super familiar with this comic book aspect, I'm just going to see where it goes. I'm not going to ascribe any expectations to it just yet. Fair play. 
last bit of Marvel thing is Black Widow. They finally made a decision after saying, no, 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 we're never going to drop this on Disney+. Plus. It's going to be in cinemas only. It's meant for the cinema. You will see it in the cinema. It's going to be in Disney+, Plus, but also in the cinema at the same mm-hmm. time. And I'm fairly confident that by July 9th, which is its current release date, we'll be okay for going to cinemas. So we'll probably be able to see it in the cinema. But anyway, it'll be on Disney Plus at the same point at the $30 or £30 price point, which, again, for us, as we discussed, going to be cheaper to go see it at the cinema. So I'll see it at the cinema if I can. And then I'll maybe, I don't know, get a hold of it later. I'll be buying it on Blu-ray anyway, because I always buy Marvel films on Blu-ray. So there's no point in me paying for the Disney Plus thing. I'd rather have the disc. You can't take the disc off me. Well, you can. You can rob my house or something and take the disc, but <laughs> you can't You can't just delete it from your service when you feel like it. Once I have the disc, assuming no one robs me, I'll keep the disc. So that's that. That's happening. And it did surprise me to an extent, but it was weird because in the UK, certainly it's 17th of May at the earliest for cinemas to open. And I think that's across the UK. Scotland and England are slightly different for our international listeners. And I know in the US, theatre chains are open already in certain states. So it did look like it might come out in May at some point. But I guess they just made a decision based on we're not going to make our money and we can't hold on to this any longer. There must be this whole thing where there's going to be a problem coming up for a Disney Plus show that will come out where things won't add up because Black Widow hasn't been out yet or something. Or there'll just be things that they needed to have kind of set up in this film that pay off in other things that are also coming out. So that's happening. And I'm surprised that they're doing the Disney Plus thing, but also kind of not surprised that they're doing the Disney Plus thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'm feeling comfortable going to the cinema just yet. So I'm glad that they're doing the Disney Plus thing because otherwise I'd have to skip this. Maybe in three months you'll be comfortable. Oh, I don't don't know. I don't know, friend. (laughs) I work in hospitality and just the idea of crowds, I'm already like, no, I don't think so. But we're going to have to. And so I don't think I'm going to electively just kind of go, yeah, you know what I'm going to do? Go be in a crowded space. Nope, not going to do that. (laughs) So I I don't think that personally I'm going to be raring to go to the cinema soon. So I'm glad that this is just an option. I feel for cinemas and I miss them. And I do hope that this will help. But I'm also glad that the option is given to people who A, can't or B, won't go to the cinema right now. I don't think we're out of the woods in a way that just goes, well, forget the conveniences of the last year. We're just going to not do that anymore. We're not quite there yet, I don't think. Yeah. July could be a very different world, Mm. though. We hope. I'm choosing to be optimistic on that score. Maybe I'll have had a vaccine by Mm. then. That'd be nice. Yeah. They're also doing that with Cruella in May, but who cares? Good God, I really... Really, genuinely do not care. I wrote an entire newsletter post about this. I know, I read it. (laughs) Thank you. The day that the Cruella trailer came out, I was just so, like, eyes rolling to the back of my skull. I just cannot be bothered with this edgy, ooh, she's just kooky and misunderstood and the Joker, but Cruella. Okay, I don't have the capacity for any more of this edgelordy. It's Disney. Come on. (laughs) Also, we have two Cruella movies, which 
were pretty good, actually, plus the actual Dalmatians movie. So do we need this? Like, I just don't understand. <laughs> Are you going to make me sympathize with someone that wants to wear dog's fur as a coat? Probably not. Are you trying to say, oh, she's just misunderstood? <laughs> she literally skins puppies for their fur. <laughs> I'm sorry, but what? <laughs> <laughs> It's a very confusing narrative that they're trying to push, and I'm just not sure about it. Um, And the thing that I've always kind of maintained on this podcast and beyond is if you have something new to say and new to do with a story, do it, I guess. But I just don't know about this one. I just really don't. Certainly the trailer just did not look positive. (laughs) (laughs) As always, I am open to being corrected if... It turns out it's good. I'll be like, all right, sure. But I just don't know about this (laughs) at this moment in time. I liked Maleficent a lot, actually. I thought that was really Mm. good. But they didn't do that as a kind of traditional villain origin thing. They did the whole misunderstood thing, but they didn't directly draw on the the source material of the Cinderella movie as it was. It was very, very different take on that. And I really liked it. And it was that whole rape metaphor where Angelina Jolie seemed to be the only one kind of in on the joke. Yeah. That kind of wink as to she's lost her wings. You know what this means. And I think that worked really well. But I don't think this is going to be that. I think Maleficent had a nice tongue-in-cheek quality to it. And this doesn't seem to be that. This seems it's trying to be edgy. And the trailer might just be misselling us. But I don't know. No, I quite liked Maleficent. I actually also quite like the Cinderella remake which had something new and different to say about the Cinderella story. I did story. see that, but I don't remember it very well. Well, yeah. there were a couple of things. First of all, she and the prince had a previous connection that was genuine. And so when they see each other at the ball, it's not just, I see pretty girl, I dance with pretty girl. They had a genuine connection as people. So that's, first of all, like quite different. But the thing that I liked the most was that Kate Blanchett's character, the evil stepmother, gets a moment where she admits why she's so mean to her. Because Cinderella's like, what did I ever do to you? You're just so mean to me. I just don't understand. And the stepmother goes, you're young and you're kind. And I wish I was those things. And while that's always just kind of been the case about that character right in any iteration of the Cinderella story there was just something so interesting about having that confrontation a because they're family but b because I don't think that we ever get that kind of admission of jealousy and insecurity I wish I was younger I feel my age I feel that I'm getting older and I'm not a kind person and I admire you and I wish I was this and because I'm not I'm going to attack you and make your life difficult and as with any bully that's at the heart of these kind of interactions and I just thought that that was fascinating and it was also just a pretty movie it was just really beautifully done and okay fair play to you you did something that is usually you know there's a lot of criticism leveled against cinderella as a fairy tale and as a story because it deprives cinderella of agency and it's just kind of like oh whatever the pretty girl gets rescued by a prince with a glass slipper and whatever who cares but it just kind of flipped a lot of those tropes and stuff on their head and yeah made it new in some way i have a lot of (laughs) love for this movie apparently 
Stay tuned for the Cinderella yeah, podcast truly. one day. <laughs> uh, and as you said, for Maleficent, I think they did some really interesting things in terms of new world building and backstory. And even the second one, as much as it wasn't as tight in terms of writing, it did some interesting things with the world. second one was okay, yeah. Yeah, I really actually quite like that. So yeah, I'm not just out of the bat, no, just don't make these things at all when we're talking about Cruella and stuff. But just make it good. Just make it new. <laughs> Let there be something that adds value to the world in some capacity. I don't know that asking us to sympathize with her and be like, yeah, Cruella, she's just a misunderstood little weirdo. I don't know that that's adding value to the world or to anybody's <laughs> life. So well, then, we'll see. We'll, we'll find see. Out. We'll find out. Okay. Brief diversion, but let's hop over to the DC universe now. So there's some news here. First up is... Tanishi Coates, I think that's how you pronounce it, is going to be writing the script for a feature reboot of Superman that will be produced by my favourite person on Earth, J.J. Abrams. Yay. <laughs> I think it's Tanahasi, actually. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm not a pronunciation guy. I'm reading this, so mm -hmm. I don't know. There's no pronunciation guy, but whatever. He's going to be writing this. J.J. Abrams is producing. I hope he doesn't slap his mystery box on this because Superman is the least mysterious character you can think of so let's not do that but all signs point to it being a black superman which there are several in the comics go for it why not do a black clark kent he doesn't have to be white that's fine because he could be any color on krypton whereas i think with batman you would have to radically change a lot of batman's backstory if you wanted to change his race because a lot of it is to do with inherited wealth and old money that kind of institutionalized rich person. A big part of his wealth comes from just his family's history and the fact that they've been around for long enough and things like that. So you would have to do a radically different take on Batman to do that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but you could do a black Superman story and change nothing, practically. Especially if you're setting it in the modern day, because he could just land in Kansas and be a black kid. And that's fine. So... I'm interested in this. I do think it's a shame that Henry Cavill might be getting shown the mm. door because I don't think he ever really got the chance to be Superman. Man of Steel is a film I really like. Listen to me and Isaac talk about that. We talk a lot about what works about that film. And then he just kind of meanders through the other films with scripts that don't really know what to do with them. And Henry Cavill doesn't have a lot to work with. So I think there's a really great Henry Cavill Superman film out there. And I don't think there's any reason that we can't get it as well as this especially with DC's multiverse approach, where they're just talking about, we're just going to tell stories. It doesn't matter if they're connected anymore. We're just going to tell the story. So hopefully this will be good. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in this. It's interesting to hear that Michael B. Jordan had tried to develop a similar project years ago and it didn't pan yeah. out. But I was reading about Tanahasi Coates, who is the writer that is working on this, and I was very, very intrigued, first of all, with his nonfiction writing, which was a finalist for the Pulitzer with a nonfiction book. He was a MacArthur Fellow, a MacArthur Genius Grant. So as a writer and as a journalist, he is very celebrated. But he's also done storylines on Black Panther and Captain America before, which is... Yeah. That's right. The impetus for getting him involved in this. So very interested in seeing a black Superman 
story and what that would mean, because a lot of Coates's writing has to do with the Black experience. So it'd be very interesting to shift that through the lens of Superman's story. Because as you say, Superman's not a mysterious character. A tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> His origin. Corn-fed Midwestern values. Yeah. That's quite. But how yeah. can that be refracted through an African-American lens? What story can you tell if Superman is Black? That's a very different story to if he's just a white Midwestern boy. So, okay, let's see it. Let's absolutely see it. And it'll be interesting to see if they bring Michael B. Jordan back to star as Superman, perhaps. Or direct. Yeah, absolutely. That could be very interesting. We've had this conversation on this podcast many a time, but I'm personally not a J.J. Abrams hater. I think he gets a bad rep. I don't hate him. I just think he's really dull. I don't. (laughs) Polite disagree. (laughs) I don't. But he's producing. This could mean a lot of things. I don't think that him as a producer means that necessarily it's going to be like anything he's ever done before, per se. So no, let's see it. Let's see it. I think it could be something really, really cool. And I do agree with you. I would like to see Henry Cavill actually embody, but he's just had bad luck. (laughs) Them's the breaks. If it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. He's got the Witcher. He'll be all right. Oh, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Nerdy boy. (laughs) I just really enjoy his Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) What a super nerd. I love that he's a super nerd. It's great. I love that video of him making a piece. Yes, exactly. Good, yes, that one. one. What? That. <laughs> Just well done. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see how that pans out. Hopefully it will come to something rather than a lot of DC stuff where they're like, we're going to make this film and then they don't. I mean, how many Harley Quinn projects have <laughs> they started and we finally get Birds of Prey, but what happened to the other ones? Who knows? <laughs> There's all sorts. So DC are famous for announcing stuff and then never making it. So this could be one of those things. But it seems like they're pretty far on the production trail with it. They're writing it now. So it seems like it's going to happen. And they are committing to different types of stories. So hopefully we'll see something different. And whether they just make Clark Kent, but he's black, which will be a valid interpretation, or if they pick one of the several black versions of Superman across the DC multiverse, there are plenty of options. So that's fine. We'll see. Next DC News is a film about Zatanna, who is a magic-wielding hero. Emerald Fennell, the Oscar-nominated director of Promising Young Women, is taking on a different kind of vigilante. She's been tapped to write Zatanna, a big-screen adaptation of the DC Comics heroine. It's set to be released theatrically. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robots producing. Ugh. <laughs> Through his overall deal with Warner Media. This is a character I really like. She appeared in Smallville over a handful of episodes. It was three or four, I think. It wasn't that many. But she was in that. And she's a kind of Justice League mainstay. Mm. Not that the Justice League is going to be a thing in the future, but this is something they're doing. So that's cool. I'm quite keen for it. And I've heard good things about Promising Young Women. It's not out in the UK yet, so I've not been able to see it. But it's that thing about director makes good film, Mm. so gets picked to make comic book film. That's how it goes, I mean, well, how it goes, but it's a woman who is an actor as well as a screenwriter and author and other things. But she has had an acting career. And I'm here for debut director gets tapped for a superhero film where it isn't just some dude. 
So perhaps the story is familiar, but the protagonist is different. And so that fills me with joy to see a woman who's just made her first feature film and she gets tapped for big bucks superhero film. Yes, good. More of this, please. The film's up for best picture in the Oscars, so it's not really as generic as one might think. Say what you will about the Josh Tranks of the world, etc. He was never up for best picture at the Oscars, so... (laughs) There's that. (laughs) So big ups to Emerald Fennel. I'm very looking forward to Promising Young Woman. I think it's going to be exactly the kind of movie I'm into. But also just excited to see a young woman make it in the superhero space. I'm not very familiar with the Zatanna character. And I think I stopped watching Smallville before she appeared. So there's not a lot that I have to draw from. But it seems a little different than most superhero things that we've seen so far, for sure. So why not? Yeah, her big thing is that she casts spells by saying things backwards. That's Ooh, her big that's interesting. Yeah, okay. that's the gimmick. Yeah, she has like inherent magical powers, but that's how she does her spells. Yeah, she just says whatever to do backwards. So it'll be I don't know, chain him up, but she'll say it backwards. So that's what she does. So that's going to be. Interesting, I guess. Maybe there'll be a sequence where she has to practice saying things backwards and she struggles with it. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just spitballing here. But it's a character I like from comics and from Mm. other things. The Smallville version wasn't too bad. Played by Sarinda Swan, I believe it was. She's in the animated Justice League cartoon as well. But so is everyone else. Every character you can think of appears there at some time or another. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So... Last couple of bits of DC news. This one's kind of a double header. Basically, we're not getting any more of the Snyderverse, according to Warner Media Studios CEO Anne Sarnoff. She said, that's it. That's all he's getting. We're not giving him any more. And as I understand it, it was actually AT&T, which is Warner's parent company, who greenlit the Snyder cut. So it wasn't really their creative decision anyway. But they're just not doing it anymore. It's like, you've had it. You're not getting it anymore. And it's kind of, it's not annoying to have liked it, but it's annoying to be among this crowd of people that are just assaulting Twitter accounts and social media accounts with Restore the Snyderverse on everything. Because apparently there was tweets about violence against Asians, that thing that happened recently. And people were just responding with Restore the Snyderverse. It's get a grip, people. Like, seriously, get a grip. This is the wrong place to be spewing your filth on the internet. And it's almost that you've given the kids the sweets and now they think they always deserve the sweets. There's that kind of mentality that is bred. And that was always the concern. Yeah. The concern was, well, now they're just not going to stop. Now every fan, in inverted commas, is going to think they're entitled to the pure version of this thing that they didn't quite like. So now it's, let's release David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad. And no, no. I mean, that does exist. Yeah, it was heavily changed, but it's still going to be them trying to save the world. It's not going to be any better. Maybe some bits will be slightly better. So let's leave it as an anomalous event that was allowed to happen because we're in the middle of a pandemic and streaming service needed content and this could hypothetically be done on the cheap, even though it really wasn't. So they're not going to make any more of these. It's just not going to happen. And much as I would kind of like to see it, to be honest, I'm okay with the fact that it's not going to happen. The time has passed. Let's be clear on that. Mm. So that's fine. As a decision, that's a good one. And I think the stuff they've been announcing, weirdly, over the past 
couple of weeks is a bit of a signal that, look, this is the stuff we're moving forward with. That stuff that you wanted, we're not moving forward with that anymore. Yeah. This is what we're doing. And that's fine. Fine by me anyway. Oh, yeah. Me too. I mean, as we were discussing earlier, the Suicide Squad movie left me very not enthused. And I don't really expect that a different cut will change that for me. No, it's not going to suddenly be the best film ever made, is it? Certainly not. I mean, was the Snyder Cut the best thing that you've ever seen? It's just a different version. Much as I really enjoyed it. No, but yeah. So I just don't feel that strongly about this. I understand there's fans of these characters and this movie and that director, and they would like that to be materialized. But the fact of the matter is, the Snyder Cut cost them an extra 70 million bucks. It's not nothing. And that's all that was reported. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that they're just going to be like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to keep spending money to re-edit and re-post, let's do the visual effects again and whatever on something we've already released and it didn't do well. So let's do that again. (laughs) The fact that the Snyder Cut got released is pretty cool in terms of fan-requested things getting done. I'm always happy to see fandom pulling through and getting things done. At the same time, the entitlement is not a good look. <laughs> oh, well, he, well, you did this. So now you got to do this because we want you to and because hashtag trending. I just don't want that to be a thing that we do now. Yeah, not that fandom. Yeah. They let us all down. They let us passionate people about things down mm-hmm. really, because of the way they behaved. Yeah. And there's no getting around that. And they got their way, but they got their way under very particular circumstances. Yeah. It's probably never going to happen exactly. again. Exactly. I do think that the circumstances of Justice League and the harried production history around it are very much the reason that this was possible. If yeah. Snyder hadn't been pulled away from production because of his family tragedy and everything else, if the Joss Whedon stuff hadn't happened in between, I just don't think that we would be talking about it at all. But because of this conflagration of events, okay, well, at least this kind of cleanses Justice League somewhat, very expensively, but... (laughs) Could have made 40 films for that. Yeah, (laughs) jeez. I just can't. And I hope they make some of it back. I'm glad that a lot of people seem to really like it who were very critical of it existing in the first place before they saw it mm-hmm. and then they sat down they saw it and they were like you know what actually it's cohesive there's something good about it okay so i'm glad <laughs> but <laughs> it also hurts my heart <laughs> to see that kind of money god there's just so much else that we could have instead <laughs> but instead we get this yeah okay sure And that behaviour rewarded as well, or the perception that that behaviour is rewarded, whether it is or not, Mm -hmm. is up for debate. But it seems like certainly the people that championed this movement for so long and were so aggressive about it think they've won. And then they think they've got the next part of the battle to fight, which is just not the case. Warner Brothers can post a thing about Sesame Street and someone will reply with, screw Elmo, release the Snyder Cut or restore the Snyderverse or whatever it is now. And really, I mean, can't you just let people tweet about Elmo. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You don't have to assault these people with these things and clutter the internet just with all this stuff. And I think it's 
It's really disappointing. And I'm, I'm glad they're not moving forward with it. Again, much as I would like to see Justice League 2 and 3 as he would have made them. Yeah. I'm okay that I'm not going to mm-hmm. see them. That's fine. I'm okay with what I've already got. And I'm glad I got a better version of Justice League out of it as well because the chopped and destroyed Whedon version is not good. Yeah. It's just not very good at all. So this version, yeah, it's watchable, mm. which the other one barely is. Yeah. So. Good on you, Warner Brothers. Stick to your guns here. Let's just get other stuff going, such as the next news item, which is the Black Adam movie, which is The Rock playing an evil Shazam, essentially, has cast Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate. For just a layman's description, he is the DC equivalent of Dr. Strange. He's a magic guy, but he wears a helmet. Mm. I very much doubt Pierce Brosnan will spend much time wearing that helmet, but who knows? Good casting, good voice. If it is to come from a helmet, it's a good voice. This film's shaping up to be quite interesting. It'll be interesting to see if The Rock can actually just go away from just essentially playing The Rock in everything he does. Yeah. Variations on The Rock. Yes. And play something a bit more threatening and sinister. But, I don't know, will he be able to silence his charisma? Will Black Adam really be such a bad guy? <laughs> we don't know, but... I'm excited about this casting. The film was recently announced, as in yesterday, announced to be releasing July of next year, July 2022. So I'm keen for this. I'll be interested to see how it plays out. And it's got a good cast so far, I think. That's cool. Yeah. I'm not very well versed. (laughs) So I'm just like, yeah, sure. I enjoyed Shazam. So I don't know. Yeah, Shazam was real good. I don't know those comics at all whatsoever, but I really enjoyed Shazam. So I'm here for more of that especially tonally i just had such a good time so anything like that and yeah why not pierce brosnan is a magic dude i can see that yeah let's move on we're going to go over to the cw now the network that neil before blog should be sponsored by to be perfectly honest with you (laughs) (laughs) so first up i think you'll actually like some of this news if you haven't read it already Mm -hmm. they are doing a pilot for uh sequel to the Powerpuff Girls. Okay. It's a live action sequel and there are a bunch of disillusioned 20-somethings who resent having lost their childhood to crime fighting. I've talked about this in the last two of these things. There just seems to be little bits of pieces that come out every month. So it was, we're planning this, we're definitely making this pilot, now we have a cast. (laughs) So the cast, I'm actually pretty excited about. First of all, we have Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She was Sky slash Daisy. And she's going to be playing Blossom, the leader of the group. She was a spunky, conscientious, little Miss Perfect child who holds several advanced degrees. Blossom's repressed kiddie superhero trauma has left her feeling anxious and reclusive, and she aims to become a leader again, this time on her own terms. There's your character Mm. description. Okay. Yeah. Disillusioned 20-somethings. Can you think of anything more CW than that? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm here for this. I think it's going to be great. Dove Cameron is going to be playing Bubbles. Her sweet girl disposition won America's hearts as a child, and she still sparkles as an adult. But her charming exterior belies an unexpected toughness and wit. She's initially more interested in recapturing her fame than saving the world, but she might just surprise us and herself. Mm. Sounds like there's an arc. (laughs) (laughs) And the last one, we've got Yana Peralt, who I've not seen in anything, but she's going to be playing Buttercup. (laughs) Great names for this (laughs) <laughs> this prime time <laughs> show. Part of what interests me about it is how seriously this has been taken. Yeah. So I'm really going to be interested to see how it's going <laughs> to play out. So she's playing Buttercup. 
She was the rebellious badass of the Powerpuff Girls in its heyday, more sensitive than her tough exterior suggests. Buttercup has spent her adulthood trying to shed the Powerpuff Girls' identity and live an anonymous life. There you go. <laughs> That's our cast and descriptions. And the reason I think you'll be interested in it is because Diablo Cody's involved. Oh, excellent. Wrote the pilot, or co-wrote the pilot, and Heather Rayner, whoever she is. So that's happening. I don't know how involved Diablo Cody will be if it gets picked up to series. I guess that's a contractual conversation we'll have at that point. But from what I know about her stuff, it seems like this is kind of the right project for her about the scraping away at the surface of what is essentially a surface level cartoon, really. I don't remember it that well, but I remember I used to watch it when I was a kid. Before I would go to school, it would be on in the morning on Cartoon Network. And I would watch it and it was entertaining for what it was. I wonder what it would be if I watched it now, but we've got this happening and aging them up and then having this whole lost childhood thing seems really interesting to me. And it's going to be a fitting replacement for Supergirl, which is going to be ending with its current season. Mm. So it seems like it slots into that slot. We'll fill that gap, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a big Diablo Cody fan, as my Darth Juno username everywhere will suggest. <laughs> Juno's perhaps top five films for sure. I just really enjoy it. I love her writing, and I do think that she's very good at capturing that age bracket. So here to see like a Powerpuff Girls Diablo Cody, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, thank you. It does kind of make it all sound a little silly being taken so seriously, but also why not take it so seriously? <laughs> why yeah. not, I ask. You've got these three adult girls who were cooked up in a lab when they were children yes. and now they're grown up and what does that do to you? Yeah. It's a valid question. Yeah, actually. We haven't seen that, you know, I mean, Powerpuff Girls have always been very much about the style of the animation. So transposing yeah. it to like a live action setting with real people and not huge eyes and round everything, <laughs> that's already just taking the concept and just really working with it in a different way. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean when I say if you're going to redo something or adapt something, just go crazy though and make it new and say something else with it. Yeah, And it seems like they very much are planning to do that. So, yeah. And I love <laughs> Chloe Bennett. I love her. I do as well. I think she's great. Yeah, I think she's absolutely She posted great. a picture of her blossom hairdo, like Ooh. the red hair. Ooh, I've not seen this. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, definitely look it up. I'll send you after this. Mm. I find it interesting that they just haven't bothered about race at all because they're just nondescript white girls that they drew for the cartoon. Yeah. Well, they're very descript. You can tell because they have different color hair and color eyes, yeah. colored clothes and stuff. So, But for this, you've got an Asian and so on. So... Cool. They're cooked up in a lab anyway, so why not? Yeah, exactly. So Yana Peralt was most recently seen in Broadway in the Alanis Morissette musical Jagged Little Pill. Mm. So that's where she's from. Okay, stage actor. That bodes well for me, at least. I do appreciate stage actors have a different approach to camera presence and character work and all that. So yeah, let's see. Definitely be worth watching. So I'm here for that. And I wonder if they'll use it. I made this joke last time. If they'll use it as a springboard for other Cartoon Network adaptation stuff. Might get Dexter's Lab, Hmm. for example. Oh my gosh. Some kind of live action version of that. (laughs) What a flashback. That would be very exciting. (laughs) But on the CW, it'd be more like Dexter's Abs. Am I right? (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Any excuse (laughs) to take the lab coat off. (laughs) Yeah, I made that joke last time and I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. (laughs) 
up until they introduce this, and then I'll be there. I'll be like, I got him, I got him. I Inevitably, they will, though. <laughs> Someone more popular than me will scoop me on it, and I'll be disappointed. <laughs> so, next up, Superman and Lois, the TV show, as of the time we release it, be on its break, actually. But after five episodes, only five episodes, it's off for two months because it had a COVID-related shutdown. So they're shutting down for a couple of months and they bring it back in May. In the meantime, they'll be airing Supergirl. The reason I brought it up is because I just think that's an interesting choice to air something for five episodes. And then something that gets so well-received, people are raving about it, including Mm. me. I love it. I think it's a great show. And then to lose that momentum by binning it for two months. Where's the interest level going to be in two months? Yeah. You almost have to start again in terms of getting people interested. Building that up again. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit of a dangerous, slippery slope there. There's no shortage of shows that tanked because either the episodes were aired irregularly or they had to take long breaks for whatever reason on channels, perhaps like NBC or similar, that also broadcast sports. And so shows that perhaps didn't have a setup like following your long running police procedurals or whatever, things that would get interrupted by the Olympics or baseball or football or whatever else Americans watch on TV, then yeah, you have to build that back up again. I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of lost that momentum when they had to take the super long mid-season break at one point. I hope that that doesn't hurt it. I'm glad that it's doing well. I've a lot of love for Tyler Hecklin from Teen Wolf, etc. back in the day on MTV. So I'm just hoping that it picks up where it left off in terms of people's excitement. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'll be anticipating yeah. it and I'll be watching Supergirl in the meantime anyway, mm. so no real difference. But yeah, it's a, it's a show I'd recommend watching. They do a lot of interesting plate spinning. They have adult plots, they have superhero plots, they have teenage plots, and they all mostly work together when they really shouldn't because normally one thing suffers and another thing gets more focus on it. Yeah, it's a really good show. Mm. Really good. I'm really impressed with it. It's good to see Superman in a different context as a husband and father, which we've never really seen before outside of the comics. So it's really interesting to just get that progression because every time we see a new adaptation of Superman, it tends to be at the beginning of his life as Superman or in the case of Smallville, way before he was Superman. So... It's good to see things moving on because sometimes it feels in comic book stuff, not so much in the MCU or whatever, but you don't really get to see a lot of that progression because they only get so far and then they have to reboot it. Are we ever going to get to see Spider-Man as an adult? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Genuinely, that's a concern. (laughs) Whenever they were recasting again for Tom Holland and stuff, it's like, okay, but can we skip the high school bits? Because I'm tired. I mean, they did end up doing it. (laughs) <laughs> like in an interesting and new ways, fine, whatever. But yeah, will we ever get to see <laughs> valid questions in any meaningful mm. way? So, seeing Superman as a parent, yeah, is a completely different take, is a very valid one, and it's very good. So, if you find it in your schedule to have a look mm. at it, definitely have a look at it. Continuing in the CW Arrowverse situation. Basically, Batwoman's been recast, which happened anyway, as in they made a new character up when Ruby Rose left the series. Now they're bringing back Kate Kane. We don't know whether she'll be hanging around for the rest of the season or not. We know they're not firing the new Batwoman, because that's just not fair. We're going to bring you in and then can you after 10 episodes, because we decided that recasting was possible. But basically, they've cast Wallace Day, who was in Krypton, which is a show I really liked, and... 
In terms of body type, is very similar to Ruby Rose, so I can see why they cast her in that way. And she was actually actively campaigning for the role when Ruby Rose quit. She oh, wow. was tweeting about it and things like that. Mm. So she's getting her wish. So in-universe, they've come up with a reason for it. The episode that I watched today, as of recording, suggests that her face has been mangled to the point where it needs to get some work done to it. <laughs> so it will get work done to wow. it and she'll look and sound completely different. <laughs> yeah. That's a classic right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's not out with the realms of possibility within the universe that they've established, mm. so it's fine. It just depends how she'll take to the role. Just that thing Ruby Rose said, that she's absolutely stoked for the new Kate Kane, but she would say that anyway, wouldn't she? She wouldn't come out in public and say, oh, I think this is sucks. Like, how dare they recast me after I quit suddenly <laughs> before the first season even finished because of COVID. So that's a thing that's happening, and I find that quite interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing Wallace Day in the role and I actually like the new Batwoman more than I like the Kate Kane character. I find her much more relatable and interesting, whereas she was a bit kind of inaccessible in a lot of ways. You would maybe understand if you saw the mm. show. You know, she's just too cool and too blasé about everything, and that gets kind of off-putting after a while. Still in the CW, we have a cast for a TV show called Naomi, and that's another superhero thing. It's basically about a teen girl's journey from her small northwestern town to the heights of the multiverse. That's all we know about it. In the context of the show, there's Wikipedia articles you could read on Naomi, the character, if you're so interested. I don't know that much about her, to be honest. I'm not very fake with all of comic books. Hmm. I don't know everything, and I'm not going to pretend to know everything. The official details on the characters, as we have them... Naomi, an effortlessly cool and confident high school student who is the adopted daughter of doting parents, popular with all the kids in her military town, Naomi is unafraid to embrace her AP student, comic book-loving nerdiness. After a supernatural event leads to the discovery of her powers within, Naomi pursues her hidden destiny. And she is going to be played by Casey Walfel, who's in a show called Army Wives. I don't know who she is. Mm. Yeah, no, I know very much nothing about this. Might be good. I'll give it a watch. Also joining the cast are Alexander Wraith, who was in Orange is the New Black, as D, whoever that is. Cranston Johnson, who was in Euphoria, as Zambado. And newcomer Camillo Moreno as Lords. The show is written by, or the pilot anyway, will be written by Ava DuVernay and Jill Blankenship, who's a big Arrowverse writer. Okay. So, got some talent uh-huh. here. Okay, that certainly has piqued my interest. That sounds cool. Yeah, the CW are getting ambitious. Yeah, hey, the CW got Ava DuVernay. A what? Okay, that's really <laughs> cool. I might check this out. <laughs> For her, I'll watch anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be happening. Mm. They've cast it now, so they'll, they'll be filming cool. fairly soon. Mm. And Yeah, some cool stuff coming on the CW. I salute that network so often because I quite like their stuff, Yeah, by and large. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're outside of our universities, but we'll go to Star Wars. But there's only a little bit of Star Wars news. The cast of Obi-Wan Kenobi has been revealed. It will begin shooting in April. I'm not going to read everyone's name, but we've got Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen. Hilarious that Hayden Christensen's in this. (laughs) How's that going to play out? Joel Edgerton will be returning. And I had to actually look it up because I'd forgotten that he was Uncle Uncle Owen in Attack of the Clones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd forgotten that completely. I try to forget Attack of the Clones in general, even though it's this year's Star Wars Day special. That's this year. So I have to watch it again (laughs) for the final time, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Kumal Nanjiani, he's going to be in it. 
Indira Varma. Indra Varma, how have you pronounced it? Indira so, Varma, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't say how they're playing, but it's a cast, so... It certainly is. It's certainly a cast. I'm just glad that we get Ian McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. I feel like even though we did get three films of him, but they were not great. <laughs> so just a chance for him to be that character and for the product to not suck. That'd be great. Hayden Christensen coming <laughs> back. Poor kid. I mean, I say kid. He's like, what? He's my age, maybe older. I feel bad for him. I really do. <laughs> and he's coming back to the scene of the crime where he'll just be relentlessly bullied, I think. Unless, and I mean, you know, like I'm open to being disproven. Maybe he doesn't suck, although I don't know that that's true. That's why I'm, I'm just like, poor thing. You're making him come back. <laughs> I'm sure the payday is good, but at what cost for him and also for us, yeah. possibly? <laughs> we'll see. I've seen him in a couple of things, but I've never seen him in anything that's good. He's never good in anything. Yes, Jumper wasn't bad. Oh, I hated oh, Jumper. I enjoyed really Jumper. That movie. But everything else, and there's a couple of YouTube videos I'll send you something to include in the show notes. Some of my favorite commentary YouTubers review terrible movies that exist. And there's this one movie with Hayden Christensen called, I think, Little Italy. Are you talking about the Drew Gooden oh, review? Oh, yes, of Drew. That yeah, Drew did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've watched that. I'm sure. Maybe Danny Gonzalez did too. But in any case, yes, that review of that movie, I'm just like, man, this guy. <laughs> it's not Little Italy in Canada or something uh, like that. I'm well. not it's sure. Not I mean, there's yeah. not Little Italy's it. everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's the Chinatown equivalent. But it's just Hayden, my dude. <laughs> Maybe you should be in some different line of work. I have concerns. <laughs> Does he not own a farm or something like that as well? I'm I sure don't I know. Some, That's yeah. interesting. Maybe I'm making that up. There's a, a lot of actors, I think, who just kind of slink back to country living, which is fine. I hope he does a good job. I hope the show is good. I have trepidation, but I love Ewan McGregor. <laughs> so I will watch this, you bet. Also, I don't know in terms of timing and what the intent is here with everybody being older, obviously. But the storyline and how they intend to do this, because it's not going to be set in prequel times. Clearly, people are older now. It's been some time. It'll be set in the in-between time. I don't know that I personally care about that in-between period, but I suppose they can make me if it's good enough. It's their job to make you care about the in-between period. Yeah, exactly. So if it does turn out, I'm cautiously like okay let's have a look it was announced a while ago that hayden christensen would be in it as darth vader so i don't know if he's just going to be in a darth vader suit oh, okay. and he just has to walk around right, right. okay <laughs> or i don't know if there'll be some kind of force ghosty type stuff going mm. on i don't know i know he had a speaking role in rise of skywalker and he didn't completely suck at that i mean <laughs> <laughs> wow when it's your bar one is line that or low. something but yeah <laughs> <laughs> poor guy i guess i kind of feel sorry for him mm. but also Maybe do a film that I enjoy or be good in a film that I enjoy yeah. and then maybe I'll be more optimistic. Some people just don't have it and that's okay. But just do you have to keep coming back? I just don't understand. There's other jobs. Robert Pattinson was after Twilight. Everyone was like, oh no, he's actually good. Those films just suck. But with Hayden yeah. Christensen, it's, mm -hmm. maybe he is actually just bad. We don't know. That's exactly the thing. Sometimes it is the case and very much in the case of Kristen Stewart and... 
Twilight people would have had her head at the time. And then it turns out she's actually pretty good in the art housey things that she's done since. But just those movies were awful and the script was awful and everything they had to work with was terrible. And that was the point. But alas, the general public would not leave either of them. They wouldn't let them live. That's why I'm saying there is room for growth. And perhaps we may yet be astounded and impressed and i'm here for it please hayden christensen for the love of god (laughs) (laughs) prove yourself please do you've had plenty of chances but please go for it again (laughs) cool okay so another thing that's happened is george rr martin has signed up a five-year deal with hbo max to do stuff hasn't said what he's going to be doing he's just going to be doing stuff That's a thing that's happening. So he's never going to finish that book, is he? That's just not happening. So here's the thing. I have feelings about George at this point. As a member of the science fiction community and fan of those books, yes, but also I'm not as... What's the best way to put this? Let the man take his time is what I've been saying for years. I don't appreciate anybody pushing anybody on the time frame. If it's his publisher being like, hey, George dude, where's that manuscript? (laughs) Yeah, like you've set seven years now. It's like, hey, (laughs) where's that book, my guy? (laughs) The TV show is finished. We should have this by now. But at the same time, there's a lot in that world that's very interesting and worth exploring in an adaptation of some kind that doesn't stem from that storyline. There's just so much. There's so much in the world of Ice and Fire. So while I'm interested to see i know that not all of these projects will pan out because that's just tv that's just the way the thing i mean you know we've already had one maybe two game of thrones things that have been canceled before they even had the liftoff one of which i was super excited for and they quashed that dream so let's see what happens i'm hoping that he's working on the thing but also if he doesn't at this point i'm just like you know what um (laughs) we had that terrible and very disappointing ending of the show i am holding out a little bit of hope that whatever he does end up writing is better and i know that he has been working on it because he keeps saying so but also (laughs) he's been involved in tv for a very long time and It's clearly kind of the world he prefers more right now for whatever reason. And I'm inclined to just let that play out. And also, while I do want to find out what happens, there's more books and more interesting stuff and more interesting stories that are being published right now than just Game of Thrones. So it's okay. I'd like to see those fantasy TV series, perhaps the animated thing that they're possibly working on question mark there's just a lot of unknowns let's see how it goes what i'm really intrigued by is the figure they said mid eight figures yeah it's insane that's an easy cool 15 million what (laughs) the article says he's executive producing a bunch of stuff that's kind of on the go at Mm -hmm. the moment so he might be earning that money no i mean yeah he is and he's been exec producer for a lot of things he's had a very long tv career and a lot of people don't necessarily think of George R. R. Martin as a TV person, but he's been working in TV since the 80s. You remember Beauty and the Beast? That was him. He exec produced that show. 
So this has been going on a while. So the fact that now he gets to have a lucrative TV career that also uses his own fictional world, that's kind of a match made in heaven for a lot of reasons for HBO and like everybody involved there. Because you get the actual creator who has a working knowledge of the TV industry and he knows what works and what doesn't. And he is there to run those shows. I don't know that it ever happens. Very rarely do you have a TV exec who also is a writer and a creator in a different capacity. I love that world. I watch a lot of YouTube videos of analyzing the Song of Ice and Fire books and stuff. And I read a lot of the extraneous and not just the novels, but the other books that come with. So like the World of Ice and Fire and the book that's about the Targaryens, Fire and Blood. There's just so much richness in that world. It's worth exploring. So cool. I'm kind of not mad at this news. <laughs> at the same time, George can shut up a little bit. <laughs> if the listeners don't know what I'm talking about, Google George R. R. Martin Hugo's 2020. And I'm just going <laughs> to leave it at that. There was an absolute fiasco. He's a very self-centered person with no respect for other people, no respect <laughs> for names that are hard to pronounce or even names that are easy to pronounce, but he just didn't put any effort in. <laughs> just it was a fiasco. So I'm ready for him to slink back, go into his TV world, make some TV. Great. Let him do that <laughs> and not <laughs> hog the spotlight from people who deserve it. And that's the tea, the science fiction tea on this <laughs> movie podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always have to. I, I Yeah. Apologies. <laughs> that's why I put it here. So it would set you off. See, I do bear my guest in mind. <laughs> You planted this. <laughs> yeah. I did. I saw it and I was like... Oh, Kat, we'll have a lot of things to say. Oh, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. There yeah. it is. You heard it from the, the horse's <laughs> mouth, so it speaks. Next thing up is National Treasure is coming back, but not in the way you might think. It's going to be a TV series, which, okay, I'm fine with that, but I kind of want to see a third Nicolas Cage film. I want to find out what was on page 47. Does anyone remember that that was a cliffhanger they left us on? I do, and I want to know what was on that bloody page. So you're not going to tell me yet. Although there is talk of a third National Treasure movie as well. But this one is going to be told from the point of view of Jess Morales, a 20-year-old dreamer who, with her diverse group of friends, sets off on the adventure of a lifetime to uncover her mysterious family history and recover lost treasure. It sounds like a CW show. <laughs> it's going to be from Bruckheimer and original writers Marianne and Cormac Wibberley, directed by Miranair, whoever that mm. is. The series explores the timely issues of identity, community, historical authorship, and patriotism, told from the point of view of Jess Morales. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that sounds interesting. The National Treasure movies are unexpectedly engaging. They're very good versions of what they are. <laughs> I actually remember why I watched the first one. It's one of those two ninety nine DVD purchases that was sitting on my shelf forever. And I remember, it was when I was at uni, the internet was down, and I didn't have anything else to do. So I stuck on National Treasure. And I ended up absolutely loving it. And the second one isn't as good, but it's still pretty good. So anything that continues in that vein, I do like the historical patriotism thing, but giving you the context of that patriotism. Yeah. It's flag-wavy, but it's not offensively flag-wavy. It's a, here's why we're proud of our history type thing, rather than America is the best. And that's all. It's the context of it. But also, oh yeah, we also stole a bunch of stuff and hid it somewhere. That's kind of bad. And then we wrote it on the back of the Declaration of Independence where it is. So I was okay with that. And it's going to be a Disney Plus thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Decent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Have you seen The National Treasures? I have. And as you say, surprisingly engaging. Surprisingly, hey, this is a fun romp. I'm kind of here for it. Sean Bean doesn't die. He gets arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's just something earnestly fun about them. And they know what they are. That's the thing. These movies are absolutely self-aware. And they take themselves just seriously enough for the grandeur of the we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence and all of that. But at the same time, they're just not afraid to just have fun with something that's very out there and very outlandish as a concept. Why not? Why not do that? And I think that that's why they've been so enduring. People still watch those films and still love those films years and years after. So yeah, why not make a TV show. If it's done with the same kind of approach, as long as it's not a step down from that grand, larger-than-lifeness. Because I think a lot of the time when movies made the jump to TV, in the past, not in recent years, recent years, the game is different. But in the past, whenever you would have, oh, it's a show that's set in the world of X thing, and it would just be like a smaller budget, sadder version of whatever it is you like. <laughs> so as long as it's not that. And Disney Plus. Disney, it's right? Like, so far, everything yeah. that they've done has been high production value, at least on the craft side of things, really well done. God, the effects on The Mandalorian, um, Wow. <laughs> And that was the first thing that they, like, debuted with. And it was like, okay, they mean business. They're not kidding. This is movie-level graphics, but on a TV show, okay. So that's kind of what gives me hope that it's not going to suck. It's not going to have that approach of, oh, we're just going to skimp. Because so far, they have not been skimping. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely, why not? But give us a third movie, too. There's room for both. Oh, yeah. Both things can... (laughs) Okay, so... Next thing, we have a Space Jam sequel synopsis. LeBron James instead of Michael Jordan, not Michael B. Jordan. There was another Michael Jordan. He used to play basketball. And then golf, for some reason. He wasn't very good at that. He was better at basketball. But that's besides the point. So the synopsis is, and it sounds nuts, playing a heightened version of himself, James struggles to relate to his son, Dom, played by Cedric Joe, who's much more interested in creating games than playing them. When Dom's tech skills draw the attention of a CGI humanoid named Al G. Rhythm, played by Don Cheadle, the father-son duo gets sucked into the Warner 3000 Entertainment serververse with the AI kidnapping Dom in the hopes of stealing some of the king's followers. Okay, he has about 80 million on Instagram, apparently. I don't know. Cheadle doesn't consider Algy a bad guy, but what bad guy does? Mm. <laughs> but rather an AI with a chip in his shoulder. So this being a Space Jam movie, a basketball game settles things once and for all. To save his son and escape the virtual reality, James must round up the tunes, including a banished bugs, to defeat the formidable goon squad. So it's like Wreck-It Ralph meets Space Jam and they're talking about going into Casablanca and things like that. So they're going to be running through different Warner Brothers properties, essentially, just to play around with them. And I think that sounds great. And there's been all this chat about Lola Bunny's going to be in it, but they're not sexualizing her this time because, thank God, that was awkward even for me watching it as Mm. a kid. What is going on here? And then instantly a million furries are born, as they say. You know, I don't know who says that. Me, I guess. (laughs) They're not doing that. They're taking away her more sexualized qualities, which I think is the right call. And Pepe Le Pew won't be in it because he's a creep. 
so they're not doing him anymore. Two things. The Lola thing, she was never that sexy in the actual movie. What people were really outraged on Twitter about, because I don't think they ever made an official announcement, oh, okay, and Lola Bunny won't be sexy. They just posted like a promotional picture of her. And all the sexy art of Lola Bunny was fan art. Well, the film does some suggestive things yeah, with her. There's sure, the, but... Her basketball uniform yes. falls off her shoulder and they have the... I don't want to say porny music, but porny eh, music. Okay, sure, mm. but that's not outside <laughs> yeah. Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes did this. <laughs> yeah. The amount of sexy that people were kind of used to in the last 20 years, that didn't come from... Space Jam that came from artists, <laughs> independent yeah. fan artists, just being horny for a rabbit. I don't know. <laughs> don't look up Sonic oh, fan God. art. Oh, Whatever no. You do do don't. look up Sonic <laughs> fan art. Sonic <laughs> fan art is a different world entirely. Oh, my God. Look up Jesus <laughs> Sonic fan art. That's where I will leave you. <laughs> my partner's a big Sonic fan. I'm not fan. putting it in the show notes. You have to do it oh, yourself. Oh, man. It's just the Bible side of Sonic fan art is explosive. There's just a lot there. Yeah, my partner's a big Sonic fan. We have delved into the Sonic verse in depth. People are very creative. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the Pepe Le Pew thing. It's interesting. I don't disagree with interpreting the character as such. I don't think that he was ever intended to be creepy. The joke was always on him, not on the cat. But okay, I guess. It's just a weird thing. They could have just reframed the character, but instead they've just erased him. Cancelled him. <laughs> Why did you cancel your own character? You could have done whatever else. He's fictional. He's yours. You can do whatever you want with him. You want to not make him creepy? You can just say, whoops, that was the past me. I've grown up. He's just a stereotype more than exactly. anything else. But that's why they've gotten rid of him, because he's considered a creep. And yeah, that's yeah, the point. That's fair enough, but also I just don't know if it was necessary. But sure. <laughs> shrug, shrug. Just shrug. <laughs> also, I'm still kind of amazed that there's a Space Jam sequel. <laughs> <laughs> just straight up how and also yeah. why <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's happening yeah we can't whether stop you it. want it's it or late. not it's <laughs> happening yeah i suppose if it's fun if it's good i'm just i guess <laughs> so next brief bit of news is we have a title for the resident evil reboot movie it's just going to be called resident evil welcome to raccoon city and the film's director, Johannes Roberts, who directed the two 47 Meters Down films. I have seen one of them, and I quite liked it. I didn't see the sequel, but the sequel is one of those, it feels like a straight-to-DVD thing where it's a similar-ish concept with completely different people that connects in no way to the first one. So if you've seen the first one, you've seen the second one, I think, more or less. But the movie is very much an origin story for Resident Evil. It's an ensemble piece and Raccoon City plays a big part and is a character in the movie. We've heard this before. It's about this group of people all coming together from different angles, some coming into town, some already having grown up in the town, meeting over this one fateful night. I'm quite interested in this. I'm in the camp of not hating the existing Resident Evil live action mm. movies and I'm quite interested in this one and the fact that they're using sort of game accurate characters but with unexpected casting in some cases. I'm quite looking forward to it. I like Resident Evil. I'll watch this and I'll have fun with it, I think. I don't know anything about... The Resident Evil movies always kind of seemed a bit too scary for me. Hmm. 
they are intense games. They are. Yeah, I've never yeah. played the games. The movies always just kind of seem a tad too much. Oh, they're a lot. Yeah, so <laughs> I know nothing about this. I won't be watching this, I have to say. I've stayed out of the franchise so far, and I kind of intend to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, but I know it's one of your favorite things. So it's good that there's still life in the franchise that's new and exciting and not just same old. And the Resident Evil fandom is among the best fandoms ever. They're very supportive of everybody, at least in my experience from what I've seen. I watch a lot of streamers that play Resident Evil. That's yeah. all they do. They just play Resident Evil. They speedrun it. And everyone's usually pretty chill, which is rare in a fandom, I find. Except when there's giant ladies involved, apparently. All I know is the memes about the giant lady. <laughs> yeah, that's something else. Yeah, Lady Demistrecu, or whatever her name is, from Resident Evil Village, which is a game I'm really looking forward to being terrified <laughs> by in about a month's time. So that's a thing. Yeah, the reception to that has been quite, shall we say, positive. <laughs> Let's just go with that. Which, yeah, fair enough. I understand why, I suppose, based on what I've seen people saying. Up next, we've got some Keanu Reeves news. He's doing more stuff. How is this guy doing more stuff? He's literally the same age as my uncle to the day. Ooh. They were born on the same day. And the same <laughs> year. Yeah, interesting. My uncle is not Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Should sure stress this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not. Imagine he was. That'd be so cool. I'd probably have a more popular podcast <laughs> if my uncle was Keanu Reeves. Netflix those guys again, have secured the rights to Berserker with no vowels. The Boom Studios published comic book created by Keanu Reeves himself. He will produce and star in the screen adaptations, which will start with the story getting the feature treatment followed by an anime spin-off series. Mm. It was an original idea by Reeves, co-written by the John Wick star and New York Times best-selling writer Matt Kint, whoever he is. The first issue of the 12-issue limited series launched on March 3rd and has already sold over 615,000 copies. This is really quick for adaptation. The story is about an immortal warrior's 80,000-year fight through the ages. The man is known only as B. He's half-mortal and half-god, cursed and compelled to violence, even at the sacrifice of his sanity. But after wandering the earth for centuries, B may have finally found a refuge, working for the US government to fight the battles too violent, too dangerous for anyone else. In exchange, B will be granted the one thing he desires, the truth about his endless blood-soaked existence and how to end it. Hmm... Sounds a bit nuts. Yeah, I'm very happy for Keanu Reeves, in all honesty. He's just out there doing his thing, living his life, and just kind of living his best life. And he's yeah. had a rough one, so I'm just glad to see him embrace this new, new... I mean, you know, in the last few years, he's just been super popular. People love him, and he's just having a good time with creating things and making stuff that's a little out there. A little out there. Reportedly the nicest man in Hollywood yeah, as I, well. As you know, in the Matrix films, he like, bought everyone motorbikes or something. Yeah, yeah. Not surprising in the slightest. <laughs> he seems like super chill dude. So, yeah. First off, yes to anime adaptations, please and thank you. Very happy to hear about all of that. Had no idea about the fact that he's writing a comic book. <laughs> that is just neat. Oh, Keanu, you giant Yeah, nerd. who'd have thunk? Very impressed by it. Happy to hear about all of that. So... All of this sounds like something I will be watching and reading and looking at. So, yeah, here for it. Absolutely here for it. Me too. I like Keanu Reeves. John Wick was very much his return, mm, wasn't yes. it? It was, it was the thing that just shot him into the stratosphere again. And he just hasn't gone mm -hmm. away since. And it's fine. 
stay around. We like you. Please do more things. Mm -hmm. Just be Keanu Reeves (laughs) and things. You know, we enjoy you. Even though your acting range is somewhat limited, we still Hey, (laughs) the thing is, right, I think there should be a space, and there is, people who perhaps aren't chameleons, but they do one or two things very well. And I think Keanu Reeves is one of those people. There's a lot of people who are like this. And yet some are held in lower regard for some reason for the same thing. And it's just like, listen, not everybody has to be the chameleon actor. It's okay. It's all okay. I don't appreciate that kind of aggressive judgment when they are in fact good at something. This isn't the Hayden Christensen conversation because at least, (laughs) at least Keanu Reeves is good at something. (laughs) <laughs> he can do that one thing very well. You just shouldn't be in emotionally intense films. Yeah. He's made that mistake. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> the Lake House is one that springs Lake to House, mind yeah. as a film that I've if seen. If it wasn't him, I think it would have been a much better movie. But there we have it. <laughs> Stick to your action shot yeah. and action fair. And, yeah. The Bill and Ted, especially thinking of the original two films, he's really good at that too. That's yeah. valid and fair. For sure. Owen Wilson's that kind of actor. He's very good at one thing. (laughs) A very one note thing, but my God, he's good at it. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Keanu Reeves, we're all good. Good for you, Keanu. I'll watch this. Next up, this actually came out in January and I embarrassingly kept forgetting to put it on the list spot. We're getting a Cloverfield sequel that's not found footage. No more is known about it. After me criticising J.J. Abrams pretty roundly over the past few things. I actually really liked Cloverfield and that trailer, when I first saw that trailer, I remember thinking, what the hell is going on here? What is This is amazing. And I really enjoyed the film. It was a good monster movie gimmick and it worked really well. Matt Reeves directed it very well and he's gone on to do some great stuff since the Apes films and so on. So a sequel made in a more traditional way. I'm certainly interested in it. I don't know if it will actually be any good or not. But I've kind of wanted to see that revisited, that event maybe revisited. I actually thought the good sequel would be a true life documentary about the event where you get the different perspectives in there. Maybe that's what it will be, but probably not. But we've had 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is a film I really Mm. like, and The Cloverfield Paradox, which is a film I can't stand. So (laughs) it's a middling franchise so far, but Cloverfield... The one that kicked it off is very good. I've never seen the latter two. I didn't like the first film, so I never bothered with the other two. I've heard the reviews about both. I'm just really not drawn to it. So this kind of leaves me a little cold. That being said, I don't know. If it's good and it reaches my ears and people like you are like, no cat, you really should. I'll be like, okay. I guess. But yeah, right now as it stands, I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's all right. Good for some people, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. It might be crap, yeah, but we'll I'm interested yeah. because I liked the found footage one. So we're all good. Next up, there's G.I. Joe spinoffs happening. They keep mentioning them and then never making them. But a live action G.I. Joe TV series is in the works at Amazon. Variety has confirmed. The series will be a standalone story centred around G.I. Joe undercover operative Lady J, with the series also connected to the larger G.I. Joe universe. I didn't know there was a larger G.I. Joe universe, but okay, if you say there is, Eric Olsen created the series and will serve as showrunner and executive producer. Doesn't say if they're going to bring back Adrian Palicki in the lead role. Doesn't say. I hope so, because she was good in that film. I actually prefer the first G.I. Joe film because it is very much a live action cartoon. I like Stephen Summers as a director anyway. His style is it's, it's bouncy and it's fun. 
Whereas the second one is good. It's probably a better film in an objective sense, but I enjoy the first one a lot more just because of how silly it is and how unashamedly silly it is. I'm not invested in this whatsoever on any level. (laughs) So I'm very happy for you, (laughs) Craig. I have seen the movies. They're G.I. Joe movies. I don't know what else to tell you. Channing Tatum before he was famous. Yeah, I know. Very exciting. (laughs) And then he gets killed in the first 20 minutes of the second Uh, one. As per... They did the same thing at Pacific Rim, didn't they? Oh, let's kill the star of the other film, because otherwise people won't care about the new guy. At least he was actually in the sequel in Channing Tatum's case. Oh yeah, no, I was thinking of Mako. I wasn't thinking about Charlie Hunnam, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, God, that was a thing. So yeah, this is one of those things where it certainly is a franchise that has a life that is actually quite expansive, but I'm not in those spaces really, so... It's okay. <laughs> no, that's fair. I mean, I'm not hugely interested mm. in it. I like Adrian Palicki in that role. I like those two films. I kind of want to see G.I. Joe be the first film, mm. though. That's what I liked yeah. about it when I watched it the first time. So it's just good fun. It's just dumb. It's so dumb, but it's yes, very fun. Yeah. So next thing is Michael B. Jordan has been confirmed as the director of Creed 3, mm. which is cool. I love the first Creed film. The second Creed film is good, but not as good. This third one, I don't know what Michael B. Jordan's like as a director, to be honest, but fine. This is his directorial debut, so maybe he doesn't even know. Yeah, I'm always interested in seeing when people make the jump from in front of the camera to behind or different roles within a film set. Actors have a different relationship to the camera when they've been in front of it, you know? So they know how to direct from a different perspective they'll intimately know how to direct other actors i think but then it's very interesting what their vision is and other sides of the filmmaking process i have quite enjoyed george clooney as a director Mm -hmm. in some ways so i'm very interested to see how that will look and what his thing will be I haven't actually seen the Creed movies, which is something I need to fix. Okay. Have you seen the Rocky movies? I have, <laughs> yes, but a very long time ago. I think I've really only ever heard good things about the Creed films, which bodes very well, at least on a story level. I barely remember the second one. I barely remember it. I saw it once. I remember liking it at the time, but I don't remember right. why. Okay. So maybe I need to watch <laughs> it again. But the first one I've seen like four or five times, and I wow, really enjoy okay. each time, so... Yeah, I need to revisit the second one, I think. But that's cool. He's doing that, so good on you, Michael yeah. B. Jordan. That's a great one to start with as well. And Certainly, yeah. I mean, having acted yeah. in it and having that kind of connection. And it makes me curious if that's just something he wants to generally do, and this is just his first foray, and what that will look like in the future, possibly, as he goes on and directs more. Yeah, for sure. So watch the space on that. Definitely give the two Creed movies a look. I will give the second one another look. I should do that. I need to remember actually what happens in it, which I don't. I honestly have no idea. Can't remember at all. And maybe that says a lot about it, actually, but I don't know. The first one certainly is memorable in a lot of ways. The second one has Ivan Drago back in it, so it's got Dolph Lundgren back as Ivan Drago. That's all I remember. Mm. And he's fighting Drago's son. Right. That's all I remember. Dolph Lundgren has more lines in Creed 2 than he does in Rocky 4. He doesn't say very much in Rocky 4. He has like two lines in that. Or <laughs> but, so it's not a high bar to clear, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Next up, my favourite franchise might be getting another film. The operative word in that sentence is might, uh-huh. because there's a lot of Star Trek projects that go nowhere. But it's in the works, a new movie from Fear the Walking Dead writer Kalinda Vasquez. Ooh. And even the Variety article says, it <laughs> should the film come to pass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when the optimism just seeps. <laughs> Should the film get a green light, Vasquez would be the first woman to pen a Star Trek feature. It's not the first woman tipped to write one as well. I forget who the last one was, but there was a female writer tipped to write a previous version. Then there's the Noah Hawley version that we're not going to get. The Tarantino one that we're not going to get, or might still get, we don't know. Really? Is that still a possibility? I don't know. I don't know if it was ever a possibility, (laughs) to be honest. But there's no details yet on her approach, including whether it included any previously established Trek characters. But Vasquez has recently written episodes of the Burgeoning Galaxy of Trek TV series now streaming on Paramount+. 2019, she wrote Ask Not, an episode of the short Treks in which Captain Christopher Pike tests a Starfleet cadet. Mm. And then she wrote the teleplay for Terraform Part 2, an episode set almost entirely in the Mirror Universe in which the Benevolent Federation is instead the Bloodthirsty Terran Empire. So that was in Season 3. So, okay. yeah. I'm always keen for more Star Trek. I think it's past time that we got non-men writing Absolutely, films. yeah. I don't think I've seen anything that she's done before, but I'm always here for women doing anything involving long-standing male-dominated franchises like Star Trek. Yeah. The diversity of viewpoint and storytelling that different perspective will bring, um, here for it. Absolutely here for it. So should the film come to pass, I'm very excited for it. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Should it get a green light, which is in doubt based on previous Star Trek projects (laughs) that were never greenlit. So we're still waiting on the Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth team up movie that we're never going to get. And I didn't really want in the first place, to be honest. (laughs) But there, there it is. So there we go. Next up, Netflix again. A Terminator anime has been ordered at Netflix. I really like the way that Variety word their article actually. A Terminator anime series has been ordered on Netflix. Variety has learned. Ooh, yes. It's just first person entity that they <laughs> call themselves by. The project yeah, okay. is still in the early stages. Plot details will be kept under wraps. I'm guessing that robots will travel back in time from the future to try and mm. kill someone. Those are usually the plot details. Or maybe it'll just be a crazy future anime thing. I mean, here for whatever. It's interesting when articles like this, you know, it's like anime, but it's going to be a Western anime, though, isn't it? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So my anime and your anime. I don't know that I love (laughs) the idea of using the term anime for Western produced shows. There's that Pacific Rim one that's supposed to be an anime, isn't it? It is. I've only seen one episode and I enjoyed it. I haven't seen it yet, actually. It's in English, presumably. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So depending on where it's produced and where it's made, I think that Japanese animation is a very different landscape to Western animation. So it helps to differentiate the two by having that term mean something else if it's produced in Japan as opposed to produced in America or wherever else. But in any case, that's just me being a pedantic weeb. That's fine. (laughs) Either way, animation provides the freedom for science fiction concepts like this to really come to life because you just don't have the kind of limitations that you might just physically what you can do all of that kind of goes out the window and that's neat so let's see what they intend to do with this that could be interesting terminator almost thrives on its limitations as well because Mm. the first film it's just a low budget slasher movie with a robot or an android and the sequel is a higher budget version of that but 
with everything ramped up in the best way. And then it goes off the rails for a number of years until the maligned, but I really liked it, Dark Fate, which I thought was a good return to form for the franchise, actually. Mm. So the anime, well, I watch it. The Sarah Connor Chronicles was a TV show I liked. Can I get season three of that instead, please? Even though the actors are moved on to different things and would never do it now, but I want season three. (laughs) But it could just be an all-out future war zone thing, which might be entertaining in and of itself. I don't know. That's what it's most likely to be, I think, based on the fact that it'll be cheaper to produce than a live action version of that same thing. And they can go more nuts with weird designs that they don't have to worry about making credible in live action and things. And you won't get Christian Bale yelling at people this time, (laughs) unless you cast them, in which case he'll yell at people, but in a sound booth. (laughs) I was telling my partner the other day, because they had no idea about the rant, Christian Bale's rant getting the remix treatment back in the day, (laughs) that I have to say, I was obsessed with it circa 2008-9 whenever it happened there was this one remix on youtube that was just a bop it was a bop and i loved it i listened to that on repeat over and over again it was a time um (laughs) (laughs) whether or not we get anything like this i'm just generally quite interested in the freedom that animation provides and what people do with that you can still kind of impose limitations in terms of storytelling I will argue that most ingenious bits of genre entertainment in any capacity usually comes from having limits because you're forced to kind of think, okay, I can't make this work a different way. I can't afford this or that. So what can I do in order to tell that story effectively? One of my favorite examples is the BBC show Being Human. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure I've ever mentioned on this podcast before, but it's one of my favorites. And there's a scene halfway through, I want to say, where... No spoilers. I won't mention what happens in it. I'd heartily recommend anyone who's listening. Check out BBC's Being Human. It's a really, really good show. But basically, there's a narration of something that has happened in the past that is putting werewolves in cages and having them fight because the world has supernatural creatures in it. And there's no visual component to that flashback. It's all done through sound. And This was because they could not afford... The BBC has a limited budget anyway. And this was uh, BBC Three, I think. So even smaller budget. We're not talking CG, I don't think, ever on that show. The ingenious way in which they were able to make a very terrifying, very sad flashback using only sound is my go-to example of you might think you need elaborate CGI to tell this story, but you probably don't. And if you can find a way to make it work without and still make me feel what you want me to feel, that's your power as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. Similarly, though, the ways in which animation kind of opens up, there's perhaps no limitation in terms of CG because everything is animated. So you can have people do whatever. But that still presents limits in what works in animation and what doesn't. So the kind of stories that they'll be able to tell will be different than if it were just another movie. So I don't know. I think there is the possibility for some cool stuff. There's also the possibility that whatever they make just won't be great. We'll have to check yeah. that out, I suppose. As is the case with everything <laughs> that was mentioned, to be As sure. per. <laughs> Next one, not a lot to say on this really, but we're getting a sequel to District 9. It's going to be called mm. District 10. Neil Blomkamp's writing it with Shalto Copley and mm. someone else. Shalto Copley was the king in Maleficent. That's all I know yes, him from. Yes, he was, yeah. 
So interesting. The E-Team, have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Or Chappie. Yeah, he's in Elysium as well. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that kind of like dystopian-y. Yeah, fair enough. I actually haven't seen District 9. Oh, you should watch it. I think you'd really like it. As a fan of sci-fi, it's obviously knocking on a very particular door in what issues it's lampooning, but it does it very well. Make you ashamed to be human, uh-huh. actually. It would make you ashamed to be human. That's how I felt while I was watching it. I think I've only ever heard good things about it. So, yeah, I don't know why it just kind of hasn't happened for me. I just haven't seen it yet. But, yeah, so that's cool. What do you think about in terms of sequel since you've seen it? Is there room for more story in that world? Yeah, very much. The film ends in a way that's, well, something will come Mm, of this. Okay. So, yes, it definitely sets it up quite nicely. And I think they'll Mm. do quite well with it. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I wanted the sequel at the time. Maybe it's been a bit too long, yeah. but it depends. If they use the time, because sometimes it is beneficial to wait. Sometimes picking something up years later, when it has actually been years yeah. later, in the story as well. So you let the actors age and things like that, and you get to do different things that you wouldn't be able to do with a sequel that came out like five minutes later sort of thing. So watch this mm. space again but i'm quite excited for it i like district nine i like his stuff in the main i didn't like elysium that much yeah i didn't really like elysium but i loved chappie yeah. mm. chappie was good that alien film he was never going to make that almost happened oh yeah that would have been an interesting one but he's never going to make it so whatever approaching the end of our list now this one you won't like and i don't really like it either but ace ventura we're getting a third one from the sonic the hedgehog writers <laughs> i don't think we need a third one the first two were quite enough I liked them at the time. It's one of those things, though, because they did a Dumb and Dumber sequel so many years later. And I just said, sometimes it's good to wait like 20 years or whatever it is to get something as a sequel. But I never saw Dumb and Dumber 2, but I wasn't interested. And it's one of those things I remembered enjoying the original, Mm. but I didn't revisit it in case it destroyed my memory of it. Yeah. And it'll be the same way as Ventura, because I haven't watched them since I was young as Mm. well. So if I was to watch one and two again, it might destroy my memory of them. Yeah, I tried watching Ace Ventura. I really didn't like it. I stopped about a third of the way in. So I don't think I'll be watching this. But there is an interesting conversation here to be had about sequels that get made decades later. I think latest one being Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, which I've not seen because I haven't really seen the first one either. So it was just kind of not for me. <laughs> but I haven't seen it because I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the idea of is there demand if there's a movie that is still quite popular decades after it's been made, does that warrant the making of another movie in that world? Are there stories to tell or are we just doing this for money? That's an interesting conversation. I don't know that I have any answers per se, but because it seems to be happening right now with movies from the 80s and 90s getting the sequel treatment 30 odd years later it's interesting that that's where we're at creatively as just a society we'll see i suppose i don't think i'll be watching this personally but i'm interested in that conversation as a whole right now maybe a future podcast topic Uh perhaps yeah might be a good one last thing we have fresh from wrapping jurassic world dominion colin trevorrow or trevorrow however you pronounce his name is set to direct war magician a World War II drama that will star Benedict Cumberbatch, apparently not had enough of playing people that use <laughs> magic. E. Nicholas Mariani is writing the script, based on a book by David Fisher. It's based on the wild story of Jasper Maskelyne, a British illusionist who used magic to defeat Erwin Rommel in World War II. 
Trevorrow's take features an international magic gang from Africa, Europe, and the Middle East who conspired with Maskelyne and a female military intelligence officer to defeat the Nazis. I mean, sure, it sounds like a lot, but okay. <laughs> Could be one of those, it's another Cumberbatch movie that's just not very good. <laughs> the distinct possibility. Absolutely a distinct possibility. Yeah, hard to say. I think it's interesting how Cumberbatch keeps getting cast in World War II things. <laughs> Certainly, I think that happens a lot. I think what with, I think, War Horse being one of the first things. But yeah, we'll see. The imitation game. The being Indeed. One. Gosh, he was in 1917 as well. Not World War II, yeah. World War One, obviously, but a similar. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. War era stuff. Yeah. Classical Greatest Generation mm -hmm. types era stuff kind of thing. Yeah. Well, quote unquote greatest generation yeah some would that's it. the generation name so it's okay but yeah <laughs> uh, i know what you yeah, mean yeah. <laughs> this i'm not that excited about i don't really like colin trevorrow's stuff that i've seen i thought jurassic world was trash to be <laughs> honest really didn't like it a film should not make you wish you were watching another film and that's what that did yeah i was sitting there the whole time thinking i really wish i was watching jurassic <laughs> park instead of this and then i scratched that itch when i got home yeah. i watched jurassic park that weekend just to get the taste of that out of my mouth, I guess. Mm. Just didn't want to sit with this pale imitation anymore. Mm. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't love it. It was just a thing, I guess. And that's not great as a filmmaker. So how was the thing? Well, you know, it was, it was a movie. It was a movie that I watched. <laughs> it had dinosaurs, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. As with anything that's this kind of announcement, I don't want to necessarily prejudge. This could very well be the Colin Trevorrow movie that we love. Who knows? Hard to say. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't really know what to expect or think at the moment. And I don't want to prescribe an opinion for myself. In all likelihood, it'll be at least of interest because it's magic-y and stuff. Here for that yeah. sort of thing, as we all know. But yeah, who knows? With everything we've said today, <laughs> knows? we don't know. We'll see, shan't we? <laughs> Yeah, we'll see what happens when it comes out. But we have opinions for now. Yeah, so. vague. Not excitement, vague indifference at the moment, I guess, for a lot of these things. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we have hopes and dreams. Hopes perhaps. and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> In general. That has made it to the end of our list. It was a big month for news. I'm sure I missed a lot of stuff, but big month for news. Lots of interesting stuff going on that's coming out at some point. And not all of it is on Disney+. Plus. So there we go. So Powerpuff Girls and everything. That's my big thing for the year, I think. I want to see this Powerpuff Girls thing, see how it pans out. If it disappoints me, I'll be crushed because I've picked it up in my mind now. And I don't usually do that with things. I like to go in with managed expectations, but yeah. not this time. It's already got me for some reason. But yeah, that was that. That's the roundup of news in March. We'll do the same in April. So big thanks to yourself, Kat, for joining me on this journey of chit-chat or through news and trailers and other stuff absolutely thank you for having me my pleasure i would like to thank youtuber neil stenson for the supplied music it's playing me out as we speak probably and if you want to talk to us about anything that you experienced here hit us up on facebook or twitter under neil before blog or you can leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk you can subscribe on itunes spotify any podcasting app really if you're on itunes please do Leave us a star rating and a comment. It does feed an algorithm, and algorithms are very hungry, from what I'm told. Until next time, you can catch us, as always, here on Neil Before Pod. Mm -hmm.